Welcome to ECB Everything College Basketball, cooking it up with Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. Yeah. It's everything college basketball. We're marching on to the madness. Come to full court press, every crazy dunk in the conference and how that team's back up. We're pulling your poles, taking your bows, letting the Burton brothers know. The players you're watching, the teachers you're not with, and who you see in the final four. With them shout outs and weekly pickums, plus those crazy rants from Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Man, this podcast has it all. It's ECB, everything college basketball, training three. Yeah, now the moment you've all been waiting for Your host, from the corner It's Josh and Peyton Burton With Tyler Cool Everything College Basketball Podcast Welcome to another edition of Everything College Basketball, episode 46. I'm, of course, Josh Burton. And my name is Peyton Burton. And for the second week in a row, Tyler Cook cannot join us. We are dropping this a little bit later. Things happen. We get it. He's still part of the team. He'll be back when he gets back. We, are, of course, are brought to you by Applied Right Painting and Restoration, the only place you need this holiday season for all your painting needs. Hit up Larry Rowe on Facebook. Go to their Facebook page, Applied Right Painting Restoration, give it a like, and then tell them ECB sent you. We get a little kickback. Yep. And that always helps around the holiday season here. For sure it does. Lots of, <laughs> lots of us could use that, I trust me. <laughs> yeah. Peyton, we're coming off the heels, though, of Feast Week, and what a feast it was. We had 12, 12 top 25 teams lose at least one game. That's Basically, we'll just say half of the top 25 lost at least one time during Feast Week. We had great tournaments we previewed last week. We had Maui. We had Battle for Atlantis. You had the NIT preseason tip-offs. You had yeah, the Orlando tournament. The Orlando Invitational. Yep. A lot <clears throat> of good basketball featuring a lot of top talent. A lot of top teams took place this week. And we have a new number one team in the land. Of course, we are recording on Monday. Yep. Um. So the top 25 has already been revealed. Four weeks in, four number ones. Peyton, I don't know what to say about this season. It's been crazy. Uh, this first month of November of college basketball has probably been the craziest month I have ever seen in my life of watching college basketball and covering it. Uh, it's been crazy. You had a lot of number one teams get knocked off, three of them. And now we got a fourth number one team in the nation now. Uh, I said last week we had incredible performances from certain players, and we had a incredible comeback. We had more of the same this week, but I think this last week, with all the tournaments, the craziest week of college basketball since the season started. A number one team lost again. Uh, you had incredible performances from some of my favorite players in the nation. Incredible comebacks. Like It was a lot of fun. Feast week, it definitely showed out, and I thought I knew it was going to, uh, but it definitely showed out. Yeah, oh, 100%. And like I said, we got a new number one team. We'll drop the top 25 poll here later on in the show. Yep. Um, obviously, we can go ahead and tell you Louisville's the new number one, which we figured after the chaos that ensued last week. 
But we have a lot to talk about, and including coming off Thanksgiving, a time to be thankful. Yes. Um, we all hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving, and I know everybody's back to work or whatever. But we have a special treat today. We're joined by former Kentucky Wildcat star in the mid early to mid 80s, former 1982 Mr. Basketball of the State of Indiana, Parade High School All-American, McDonald's All-American, the 1985-86 All-SEC third team, drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers, the Showtime Lakers at that, yeah. in the fifth round yeah. of the 1986 NBA draft. Had for 20-some years, 25 years or so, the all-time single-season assist record at the University of Kentucky. None other than Mr. Roger Harden. He's on deck coming up very soon, uh, looking to get two parts out of him or more, have a nice little chat. Peyton, I'm excited Roger's joining us. Yeah, uh, when we started talking to him, uh, I was very excited. Even though he obviously played for Kentucky, I'm a Lola fan. But I don't care. I'll throw that out of the way. Uh, I cannot wait to get to this interview. Um, He just did another interview with another um, podcast or something like that, a radio show, something like that. And I cannot wait to get him on the show. And it's nice to finally have someone to interview uh, that's close to us. We've had a guy in Las Vegas. We had – We've had other people. We've had other people, people like that. But we've never had like a former player for a college team. And college team being Kentucky, it's incredible. And I cannot wait to get to this interview. Yeah, I'm doing a quick wrap around. You know, we like to open the show up just real quick, talk about some other stuff outside of the college basketball realm. We talk about Thanksgiving stuff. So do a real quick wrap around. Um, Alabama loses the Iron Bowl. Auburn beats them in the Iron Bowl. Yeah, uh, what was the score? 48-45. Yeah. Alabama missed the field goal. Hit off the they have the worst luck. Course. They can be the best team year in and year out, but cannot find a kicker. Their offense is great, even with – who is the dude? Matt Jones? Or something? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, something like that. I forget his name. Matt Jones. Matt Jones. Yeah. Uh, the offense is great. Their defense just sucks. It's not a normal Alabama defense that you see like a couple years ago. Like their defense is trash. And Alabama and freshman, two freshmen, Bo Nix, exposed it, uh, dropped 48 points on them. Like, ugh. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what happens? Auburn, big rivalry. It's going to be the first time since the playoffs inception in 2014 that Alabama won't be a part of it, Alabama's more than likely. Alabama's not going to be in it, thank goodness. Um, I mean, not with the obviously, this being rivalry week in college football, um, we had one that was near and dear to us, and – the Cats literally and figuratively ran all over Louisville, set a school record 517 total team rushing yards. Lynn Bowden has got to win that award for the most um, versatile and explosive player in college football. He has to. The Paul Horning Award. Who else would get that besides Lynn Bowden? Nobody. Not only that, but Cavassier Smoke ran wild. A.J. Rose ran wild. Chris Rodriguez. Like the whole running game. We threw, I think, what, two passes the whole game. In the game plan, Louisville <clears throat> knew we was going to run. Couldn't stop it. Um, Louisville's in good shape, though. Seven or seven wins? Seven wins. Seven, seven wins. Five. Kentucky up to seven wins. Louisville's in really good shape. But not rushing. T- I mean, Linboat, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I know you're devastated about the big-time blowout loss, but – Damn, we put a the off, our offensive line should be yeah. the best offensive line in college football, anyways. Yeah, y'all put up 500 rushing yards on us, like that's incredible. And our rushing attack was pretty good. Uh, we had two freshmen, Javon, uh, Javion Hawkins, who 
is super quick for running back. Mm -hmm. He has had the fourth best rushing season in Louisville history, and he's a freshman. And next year he'll be back for, as a sophomore, and I cannot wait to watch him play again. Yeah, Louisville's in good shape. They're Louisville's in good, in good shape. shape. They, just ran into, wins. they just ran into a buzzsaw. We run, run, and we're going to run some more in the bowl game. Speaking of which, in the bowl game, um, the old Oak and Bucket – Indiana goes up to West Lafayette, snaps a two-game losing streak in that rivalry series, brings home the old Oakham bucket, gives them, I think, what, nine wins on the year now? Yeah. There's potential Kentucky and Indiana could play, but on the football end of it, in either the Tax Slayer Bowl or the Music (laughs) City Bowl, that's who I'm hoping for. I'm hoping we play either Indiana or there's rumors we get Miami Hurricanes, which I think would be fun. Give me Indiana, though. I think that'd be great. I don't know what bowl it was because I've been checking bowl projections for Louisville. We have rumored to be in the Music City Bowl and another bowl I can't think of the name of. But I seen one bowl uh, projection for Kentucky. It was like Kentucky versus Virginia Tech in the Music City Bowl. Oh, that'd, City that'd be bowl. cool. That'd be in cool. The Music City Bowl. That would be a good game. I'd still, if that, I'd rather play Miami in Jacksonville for the recruiting purposes. Yeah. I mean, last year y'all beat. Uh, dominant program in Penn State. And now give us Miami, yeah. And Miami, yeah, or at least to be yeah. dominant. I still think there's something fun, too, playing Indiana. I think that would be fun because they've had a really good year, too. They've had a really good year. Ohio State smashes gonna, Michigan. Yeah. Speaking of rivalries, that was just embarrassing. I watched, like, the second half of the game until I got, like, five minutes left. Uh, Michigan haven't won a game. And first Ohio State since 2011, I believe. It's been eight years. Jim Harbaugh, do you think he'll get fired now? I don't know what you do with him. I guess he's not winning the big games that they need to win. Matter of fact, I seen a stat that Juwan Howard and Jim Harbaugh both have two top ten uh, ranked wins, and Juwan Howard's only been at Michigan for seven games. This is his first season. Yeah, Jim we'll, Harbaugh's been there for what four or five years now. Yeah, we'll like get into Juwan Howard. Other sporting news, though, the we know we're big soccer fans. The Euros, the twenty was twenty twenty Euros draw, which is the European competition, second biggest competition in the world besides the World Cup. Obviously, everybody who knows me knows I'm uh, Forza Italia all the way. Peyton's uh, Portugal. The groups came out. They're not completely finalized because they got some playoff games that will determine last spots in certain groups. But for me, Italy got a fair draw, like a pretty fair draw that we should be favored, but it's tough. Turkey's very capable of winning a couple of matches. Wales, um, they were one of the, the the stories of the tournament in the Euros four years ago. I guess three years ago now. Yeah, You've got Gareth Bale. You've got some talent. And then Switzerland's always decent. They've got some talent. I like Italy coming out. But your, your oh club got the group God. of death regardless. Ridiculous. I kind of figured it when these came out. Oh, my God. Group F. We got a playoff game or a winner of the playoff. Which could be there. Iceland. And Iceland was one of the stories of the Euros a couple years back. It could be Iceland. Like, geez. But anyways, we got Portugal. The defending World Cup champions, France. The other World Cup champion in 2014, Germany. Germany, France, and Portugal in the same damn group. I really wish I had Italy's draw right now because that is ridiculous. That's going to be super tough. I do love this Portugal squad, though. Obviously, Ronaldo. You got Jal Felix on the squad, Bernardo Silva. You got some talent on that squad. Uh, we're the defending champs of the Euros. We won it back in 2016. Beat France, won them. At France, by the way. Um, France hosted it. But that's just brutal. Three tough or 
I think we opened up with Germany or France. I don't know if they came out. Who regardless, was, regardless, geez, that's going to be tough. So it's fine. And then the other thing, I mean, you talk about Conor McGregor's coming back just next month now. Just January. January is it 12th? Yeah, January 12th. To fight Cowboy. The memes that's already going around have been awesome. Like these posters have been awesome. The, and that's at 170, which makes me worry. That's a heavier weight class. I know he fought Nate Diaz twice up there, went one and one. But I think that favors Cowboy. I'm a little nervous for Connor. I like the fact that Cowboy's going to throw hands with him and got to watch the kicks. But Connor needs a win like this. He, he's got to absolutely have it. So hopefully uh, the notorious one can come through. He just needs a win, whether it's decision, knockout, submission. He just needs a win. He just needs to get back in that winning column. But that's not the only news in UFC because they announced Tony Ferguson versus Khabib in April of 2020. Uh, hopefully we'll finally get to see that after multiple times of trying. It's been injuries. the most cursed fight I've ever seen. Hopefully we get to this see that. This will be that. the fifth time they've tried to fight. Fifth time. Fifth time to charm, hopefully. Because uh, I do want to see that fight. I really hope Tony Tony poses a lot of problems. We'll talk about closer as it gets time. Tony poses a lot more threats to Habib than maybe anybody ever has. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm super excited for the fight. Hopefully it happens, though. So there we kind of cover our bases. Um, other sports around the world, all the kind of news, tidbits, and all that stuff. So, we've got Mr. Roger Harding waiting on us, Peyton, yes, uh, for this wonderful interview. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take a pause for the cause, take a break in the action, and when we come back, Peyton, who we got on the line? We got Mr. Roger Harding on the line. You are listening to episode 46 of ECB Podcast. We'll be right back. Listening to everything college basketball podcast. Go ECB! Go ECB! Hey, welcome back to the show. We have a treat for you. We we kind of talked about it the last couple days. We talked about earlier show previewing, but today joining us on the Applied Right Painting and Restoration Hotline. Straight from Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, the 1982 Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana, a Parade High School All-American, a Mickey D's All-American. We are joined by Mr. Roger Harden. Roger, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, it's great to be on with you guys and uh, talk basketball. Appreciate that introduction. And uh, yes, I'm an Indiana boy and uh, look forward to talking ball with you guys. Which is nice because, especially you think about in that era, the, the era you grew up in that um, late 70s, early 80s, being the 1982 Mr. Basketball, that time frame, the state was pretty much dominated by Bobby Knight and IU. So how in the world did you end up in Lexington, Kentucky? <laughs> well, the story's actually a little more scandalous than that. My father actually played, played basketball at the Indiana University from 60 to 64, and uh, we, uh, uh, my father, uh, after he graduated from IU, he was a high school coach in Indiana for about four years, and then he became the head basketball coach at the University of Denver, and he moved our family out there, I think, when I was in kindergarten, and he moved us back to Valparaiso, Indiana, when I was going into eighth grade. Uh, he kind of got out of coaching, really, to save his marriage. I didn't know him that well up until then. He was always recruiting 
reading and everything, and he took a job with Converse. And my mother went to Purdue, and uh, I had an, actually had an older brother who played in Florida, who was a year older than me, actually committed to Purdue. But my mother forbid us to play for IU. Coach Knight recruited me, and she told me you can go anywhere you want. And I'm a big mama's boy. Right. But she said, I don't want you to play for Bobby Knight. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I visited Purdue. I visited Notre Dame. And back in those days, really, uh, Coach Knight did not have a real good relationship with the high school basketball coaches in Indiana. It was customary that the IU and Purdue coach always speak at the Indiana High School Basketball Coaches uh, Association Clinic once a year. And for the first many years, uh, Coach Knight didn't do it. And a lot of the high school coaches have great influence over high school basketball players in Indiana more so than Bobby Knight. Don't confuse the influence of Indiana University with the influence that the University of Kentucky has statewide. You've got Notre Dame up in the Northwest. You've got Purdue. You've got Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Indiana State with the rise of Bird in the late 70s had some cachet. Evansville and some of that. So, um I always knew growing up, and my father would talk to us about basketball, he would always say, if you ever have a chance to play at the University of Kentucky, and back then it wasn't really about where can I go to to, to make the NBA, so to speak, though the, I think that was a dream of mine, and, and had a cup of coffee with the Los Angeles Lakers, but um, it was more about where would you be set after you got done graduating, and uh, Kentucky was just the place place to play college basketball and I think it still is to this day yeah that's um actually a great backstory because as many of our listeners obviously recognize and know um, we have a lot of Indiana fans we have a lot of Kentucky fans uh, a lot of spread out <laughs> fan groups and ironically our uh, our main sponsor that I led you in that sponsors a show and I said the applied right painting restoration hotline their owner is a huge Purdue fan, so I'm sure he'll love that. But I think it's funny, too, especially that time period. And you look even, you know, prior and past since you, um, that time frame, too, it was guys like you, Kyle Macy, even though he did go to Purdue, he ended up at Kentucky, obviously been a Kentucky legend. Um, Sean Kemp, even though he never played a, a game for Kentucky, you know, from state Indiana, comes to Kentucky. You even look more modern times, Marcus T. You look at Trey Lyles. What do, you, what do you think it is about a kid from the state of Indiana that is attracted to it? Honestly, it'd be like a culture shift, especially I'd imagine back then going down south to play at Kentucky. Yes. I mean, there's a lot more. I mean, Jim Masters was Mr. Basketball. I played with him, James Blackman. Blackman, I think, I, I think really, um, I came, I think it was Coach Katie's second year at Purdue, I, who I have the utmost respect for. He actually was an assistant for Eddie Sutton, who I played for my senior year. Uh, he was an assistant at Arkansas with Eddie before he went to Western Kentucky. But I, I, I think, you know, I don't think it's really a deficiency in the in-state school, so to speak. I think it speaks more to the to the Kentucky basketball program. When you go down there and, and when you visit, uh, I know Cal likes to bring him in for Midnight Madness, which is, you know, a big night for uh, the Big Blue Nation. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, it's just very difficult to recruit against that. Uh, you know that, uh, you know, the, the, the arenas are going to be full. And I know uh, they fill it in Bloomington and in Purdue as well. But just the statewide support, Kentucky has always been able to come into Indiana and get some very good blue chip ball players just about any time they want to. So I think it really, it, it's kind of like the, an Alabama football where they can go into great football high school states. They go into Texas and California and they can recruit out of those places. I've always, and, uh, I've always loved the comparison too of Kentucky basketball, Alabama football, the, the rabid fan base, the history of winning, um, the, the culture, I've always loved those comparisons. I know not everybody does, but I think those to me are about as perfect as you can find comparison-wise. Yes. Um, yes, ex- exactly. And, I mean, you know, Coach Hall was a, was a great recruiter. And, uh, you know, Leonard Hamilton, who was an assistant at that time, uh, who's at Florida State now, is a legendary recruiter. Yep. You know, they had a few things at that time that were unusual. Most college uh, big-time college basketball programs and football programs have dorms specifically for their schools. Back then, Kentucky had Wildcat Lodge. It was yep. named after Coach Hall. And, you know, you, you, you know, then the big thing was, I want to go where I can play for a national championship team. And, you know, with the way that Kentucky recruited, they had Bowie and Turpin. And, of course, I came in the same year as Kenny Skywalker. Yeah, we'll get into uh, that. It's very, 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 very difficult to say no to that situation. And Coach Hall would make a commitment to you. He would not recruit over you. If you recruited a point guard, he was going to at least give you one year in between him and another kid to give you a fair chance to develop in. Because when I came in at that time, you had Dirk Minifield who was a five-star player, who was a senior. And then I had Dickie Bill from Covington, Kentucky, who was maybe the quickest human being I ever played against, who was going to be a junior my freshman year. So I had to beat out some really, you know, dominant guards who could have gone just about anywhere they wanted to in the country. So you really weren't expected to be be a starter till possibly late your sophomore, but you had to be ready your junior year to take over the hill. Yeah, that's so interesting, too, the way things used to be in the current landscape, and I understand things change. A couple of things, um, talking about your Kentucky past, your your four years there that Peyton and I want to get into. Um, obviously, for me, the first thing that jumps out and I want to ask you about, and doing my research, um, the 84 Final Four game. I know it, it's legendary in Kentucky basketball lore because that's the second half up in Seattle, I do believe, where we shot like three of 30 or something crazy like that. And that's when Ewing and all them, that's when Georgetown was the Hoyas, right? Take me through briefly that that game as you remember it, because you were matched up. Had you won that, you were probably the favorite to win the title that year. Yes. Well, we were number one, I think, in the country probably for, uh, I don't know, 19 or 20 weeks that year. Of course, we had Bowie, Turpin, and Walker, all three lottery picks for the front line. And, uh, you know, the thing with the Georgetown game, my own personal evaluation of what happened was we came out, I think we were up seven or eight on them, possibly nine and a half. And, and to be honest with you, if I had to be honest, in the locker room, we thought we had broke them. 
I thought that we we came out, we jumped on them, we dominated them inside, even though they had Ewing and they had Michael Graham and they had some great players on that team. But we really took it to them in the first half. And the truth of the matter is, I think we left the locker room believing that we had broke them. I thought we, I think we felt like we were going to go out and uh, face the same opponent that we were in the second half that we did the first half and what John Thompson must have done to change their mentality because they were so known for their smothering man to man up in your grill. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take your lunch, bust your ass defense. Yes. That, that showed up the second half and it wasn't that we weren't talented enough to have it, but they jumped on us and we were more relaxed and we, and they never, they never took their foot off of our throat the rest of the half and I just think as time went on the whole the whole vibe that went through our team and on our bench we just couldn't get a run they wouldn't let up on us and I give full credit uh, to the Hoyas in the second half of that of that game uh, obviously it was an embarrassing half to be a part of yeah like historically and, uh, low shooting percentage for a half I mean it- yes Yes, I, I tell my kids I'm a part of the NCAA Final Four all-time record. Yeah. <laughs> I, took, I took two of those 30 shots. <laughs> uh, Peyton, I know Peyton's been biting this time here. I know he wants to jump in here and he's got some stuff for you. So, real quick, I just have to ask this. Obviously, you play college basketball for Kentucky. Josh over here, he's a Kentucky fan. He represents Big Blue Nation. I am a Louisville fan. I represent Colin Nation. My question to you, how was it like playing in one of the best rivalries in college basketball history, being the Louisville-UK rivalry? Not only that, but on top of that, we talked off-air. You were in the first game of the rivalry when it came back in the NCAA tournament of all places when you finally had to meet up. Yes, uh, we beat Indiana the first game in Knoxville uh, back in in '83 in a very close game, and then we uh, we we draw Louisville. We have Louisville beat. We we late in the game, uh, we were pretty much in control of the game. It was about a six point game pretty much the whole way. We go to a delay offense and we're up two. And uh, we had a fabulous guard named Dirk Minifield. Uh, and we didn't run the four corner. We stacked two at the elbow and we would pop somebody out and hit it and we would go and replace. We used to that. Freshman, sophomore year high school to combat bigger teams. Yes, yes. So we're in that with about ten seconds to go, and Dirk goes to the to the sideline, and instead of passing it, he reverses and goes to the hole for a wide open layup. But you got Charlie Jones. No, who was it? No, it was one of the McCray brothers. One of the McCray brothers goes up, gets a fingernail on it, and misses it, and they go down and hit it, and we go into overtime. Uh, oh, excuse me. No, they go up to. Actually, they go up to. We come back down, and I think Tim Master hit one with t- no time on the clock to send it into overtime. But I really believe – 
if, if you know, we hit that, we, we go to the Final Four. But the, the atmosphere at that time, riding home, we took a bus down to Knoxville that year. Knowing what it meant to the state, it was a probably one of the gloomiest losses I've ever been. You got to sit through a whole summer. And of course, you may or may not remember. Uh, uh, through your studies, uh, the legislature, the governor, forced us to play the yep. first game the next year. Yep. And that was my first start as a Kentucky Wildcat. And, of course, we're getting Sam Bowie back. We've got Kenny Walker. We've got a little bit of everything. we got Winston Bennett. We are loaded. But the big thing is, can we withstand the 2-2-1 full-court Louisville press that brought them from behind in the Mideast? region, I mean in the southeast region did they the year use, before, can we handle that? Did, did they so, use, did they, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but did they use their 2-2-1? Because I've seen highlights of the game stuff, never went back and watched the full game. Obviously watched that great documentary that came out a couple of years ago, Red vs. Blue, yeah, documenting the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry. <clears throat> but when they used their 2-2-1 to make a run, were they using it more or less to slow you down and make you think, or were they aggressive out of it trying to get steals, shoot gaps, and all that? Because there's two different ways to play a 2-2-1 full court. Then he would always start out, and he would always see what you did. So it was not aggressive in the beginning. He would not come out and trap the first. He would not trap the first pass. He would he would let you run your zone offense or let you see what you were going to do. He'd call a timeout, and he would draw up where he wanted his traps. One of the great X and O guy, uh, one of the great uh, basketball poker players of all time was was Denny Crum. He got that name Cool Hand Luke because he'd get that read on you and. Uh, and, and, and and he would uh, 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 show him where he wanted the trap because he'd looked at your your press offense for several for, for several possessions. And as as you would as as the game went on, it became more and more aggressive. And they really did a great job of, of, of doing it. We did not react to it well in the Southeast Regional. However, what we did the first game of the season, we brought Bowie down and made him the first pass. Uh, Probably somewhere between the elbow and the uh, uh, out of bounds line, he, well, the point guard would throw it to him and just run off of him, and that was a good or run either down the sideline or run up the middle, and he would hit him. And really, they never they never had anything for that. They had big guards. They had Milt Wagner and Lancaster Gordon that year, both of them about six three, six four, six five, and then he loved the big guards, so they were really effective on the trap but when we brought our seven footer up bully was a great passer yeah and he could and see over the defense you could throw it up to him and we'd break either the point guard that threw it in or the opposite side point guard to the middle and we'd turn and we attacked it and we had absolutely no problem in, in Rupp Arena the next year I think we beat him 20 some points there you go um real quick because we do want to talk with you we, we've got about 15 minutes or so left here with this um to kind of wrap up some of the old stuff, I, I do because again, we have a lot of Indiana folk who yeah. listen to this part of the Facebook group. And all. There's been this controversy since the game dissipated after the Kentucky getting upset in Assembly Hall in 2011. I mean, we have played twice in the tournament since then, but most of us can agree that rivalry was right there among the best of the best. I remember being young and 
you know, if it was in the RCA dome, it would be 15,000 blue, 15,000 red or what have you. Same if you go to Freedom Hall. Your thoughts, A, when you played in that rivalry, when you played against Indiana, and just as a whole, just spend a minute or two. Just tell me what you think about the Kentucky-Indiana rivalry, both as a player and then looking outside in on it. Well, first of all, I think it's a tremendous disservice to college basketball that yes. we're not playing Indiana in a home-and-home home series. I actually was a an assistant after the Lakers waved me with Eddie Stutton, so I got to experience Indiana and Kentucky in the Hoosier Dome. And you're right, 15,000 red, 15,000 blue, it was great. But I got to play in that era when it was home-and-home, and, home, and wow, what a great what a great experience to go into a Assembly Hall or to play IU. Anytime we played IU, one of the few we only did it a few times a year, you would get run off so many screens. They had Uve Bob, they had all these guys. Bobby would what could they set screens and you were gonna be on defense for at least twenty seconds and they would wear you down and take advantage of a of a of a mistake defensively. But everybody you were sore after you played Indiana. You thought you were in a rugby game. It was it was a very physical type basketball game, but just the atmosphere and the experience to play in such a avid atmosphere on the road really helped you down the road. It helped prepare us for what we were going to be in the SEC. And when you got into tournament play, it felt like you were swimming upstream. Uh, excuse me, upstream. Even if the opposing team had a nice crowd there, Kentucky always traveled better than anybody with our fans. So I, I really, and we also played Kansas home and home every year that I was there as well. We just chose to play in, uh, uh, Freedom Hall. We would always have one game in Louisville, and it would be the Kansas game in Louisville. And then to be able to play in Fog Allen, which next to Mackey Arena at Purdue, and Fog Allen were two of the toughest places that I ever had to play in. Very cool. I, I was actually just remember it too, and I seen a thing at a at um an antique mall not too long ago in great conditions from like ninety one or something. But remember the old Big Four classic that was played up here at the Hoosier Dome? It would be yes. Indi- Kentucky, Indiana, and Louisville, Notre Dame. I I wish we Ooh. could do that again, but swap out Notre Dame for Purdue. And I think that would be epic. You put all four teams up in like Indy or put them up at, a, well, I guess not Hoosier Dome anymore, but wherever. Put them at Banker's Life or whatever. Yep. Do a one-day deal. That would be the greatest because it puts some predicaments, right? So if Kentucky's playing Indiana, you have your other two rivals. Does Purdue <laughs> root for Kentucky? Does Louisville? You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I love it. I wish that would come back, the big four classes. Yes, and I think it's good for basketball in both of those states. I I just, you know, I I mean, I know I'm an old dog, and I love, you got an old dog soul, I can tell both of you. Oh, yeah. That's just great for fans. You know, they talk about uh, uh, attendance is down across the country and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it's down. We don't do things like that that we used to do. We don't, you know, that, that. That, that, that is so good for basketball and sometimes you got to do things that are good for the game and, instead of you know going through eight or nine uh, uh, teams that probably you've got a 20 to 25 point spread against I just think that you know the fan is not taken into consideration like they used to and that's what built college basketball and made it the, the billion dollar business that it was because coaches back then did what was good for the game 
Yeah, for sure. Um, there, there's a lot of those stuff. Here's one real quick, too, and we don't have to get into it, but I would love to see Kentucky every year in some form, at least alternate it on our schedule. I'd love to see us play Indiana, Louisville, and Cincinnati. I think because Cincinnati Ooh. is a regional rivalry that makes a lot of sense for me. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, if you go back, fellas, and look at our schedule in 84, we played Indiana, we played Houston, we, we opened with Louisville, we played Purdue. We played Cincinnati. Okay, those are those are our pre-conference games, along with a couple others that were very good. And you know, back then, we the thinking was you want to play as good as teams as you can early, because you want to find out what your weaknesses are so you can work on them. And uh, you know, that's kind of not the case now. I think you know, guys want to always make sure that they win so many games every year. They want to jockey for that number one uh, seed. I think they all think that's the difference between getting to the Final Four and not getting to the Final Four. So there's just been a difference in thinking. And, of course, television and has a lot to say with who you're going to play. And so, you know, uh, I still enjoy the game a whole lot, but I do yearn for some of those those old rivalries that you guys would like to see as well. For sure. Um Roger, do you do you think we can get in like another 10, 12 minutes with you here? Sure. So what we're going to do is we are going to take a pause for the cause here, kind of catch our breath, and then we're going to come back. We've got Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana, 1982, <laughs> former Kentucky player, Roger Harden online with us. We're going to take a break in the action, and episode 46 will be right back after this. Do you like T-shirts? Do you like being in control of customizing your own t-shirts? Well, have no fear. Mr. T's is here. I am Tyler Cook, owner and operator of Mr. T's customizable t-shirts. I can do anything that you need as far as, you know, wedding parties, birthdays, anything that you want and need, come to me and I can see if I'll help you out. You can reach me on Facebook. Just search Tyler Cook in there. Uh, You can find me. You can get my email. I'll send out an email. I'm going to create a page that I'll later add in here but uh anything that you need as far as customizable t-shirts i can i can hook you up i can get you done right at a reasonable price but other than that go back to hearing our wonderful voices on ecb podcast hey guys we're back you guys just finished listening to part one of our interview with mr roger harden i hope you guys liked it part two will be out later um, in the show, but for now, we are here to do a review of last week's, or I guess this week's games. Um, we had some big ones, but to start off, I mentioned in the open, we had a number one team in the nation fall the third time of the season. We had the Duke Blue Devils getting beat by Stephen F. Austin at home, 85-83 to in overtime. Did I expect this to happen? Hell No. Am I glad it happened? Hell yeah. I This was incredible. Um, another huge upset. Matter of fact, this snaps Duke's 150-game winning streak as I can – what was it? Uh, home versus non-conference. Or home versus non-ranked team. Non-ranked, like non-conference proponent, something like that. And people Their last that. loss was in 2000 against St. John's. And that's a yeah, long time ago, about 19 years ago. Um, this was an incredible upset. Stephen F. Austin really played well in this game. Harris led them in scoring with 26 points, four rebounds, four assists. 
Nathan Bain had the game-winning layup. Literally, like, he got the ball, like, a, a second left and ended up driving the end of it with, like, point two left. Like, it was incredible how he did that. Well, let's just, real quick, the final possession. Yeah. The final couple possessions, <clears throat> Duke was just terrible offense. Well, you can't put the ball in Trey Jones' hands and expect him to go win you a ball game. And that they did that the last two or three possessions, and then the final one really cost them. He drives the lane. They miss a shot, then get off the rebound and kicks out to him. He settles, lets the clock run down, drives the lane. The ball gets either tipped from him or he loses it. And then a scramble underneath by the baseline or the end line, and Stephen F. Austin comes up with the ball and goes coast to coast in under like two and a half seconds and hits the game-winning layup. The ball's just left his hand. The buzzer goes off, and then it goes through the net. What an incredible win. What a terrible performance by Duke, though. Yeah, you're right. Trey Jones, I think he shouldn't even be on the floor in situations like that. I said at the beginning of the season, you can listen to it. I've said it multiple times. He is a liability on offense. He can't hit threes. He can't hit shots. He had 12 assists in the game, so I guess that's good. That's something good to look forward to. But other than that, he's just a lot. He had eight turnovers in this game. Including that final eight. one, the game winner. The, yeah, the most important one of the game winner. He had eight turnovers, and you're supposed to be a starting point guard for Duke. Uh, one of the best point guards in the nation, some people would say. And you had eight turnovers. That is unacceptable. Um, Cassius Stanley, he had 15 points. He could have ended the game. He could have had a game winner before the regulation ended, but he missed it. Vernon Carey had a double-double with 20 points, 11 boards. Matthew Hurt, he played pretty decently. I mean, he had 15 points in 22 minutes, 5 from 10 from field. He's still got to be better. You expect more out of him. I mean, 15's fine, but you still expect more out of him. Yep. Jack White came off the bench, got six boards. Um, They're still not getting a lot of bench production. Yeah. You look three from White, two from Goldwire, two from O'Connell, and that's it? That's it. That's only – what was that? Seven, Seven points, points from the bench. You can't win ball games like that too often. No, you can't. Um, Wendell Moore, he had nine points, three rebounds, three assists. Bottom line, though, is Duke just played awful, and they've been on the wire. They've been teetering. And this is like the – this is how college season is going to go, right? Yeah. Just We've already seen it. There's already been precedent with Evansville over Kentucky and all this other stuff. It's just how the season's going to go. Duke didn't come prepared, ready to play. Stephen F. Austin played a, a good game, only shot 20% from three, yeah. which is even more remarkable. Had fewer turnovers, though, and basically played even. Duke had 14 blocks. Mm-hmm. 14 blocks. Stephen F. Austin had 11 more fouls. So they did what they had to do and were able to sneak away with the upset victory over number one. Good on them. Yep. Uh Mention a bunch of these tournaments. You Kansas. To, you want to talk Maui? Yeah, Kansas. Okay. They won the Maui tournament. Ended up defeating Dayton in the final. Uh, Dayton had an incredible run. Obi Toppin in the first game against Georgia. Lit Georgia up. Georgia was not impressive in this tournament until they faced Michigan State. But Dayton really played well. Kansas. Um, Devon Dodson had 29 points or something close to that. Close to that remark. Yeah. He played incredible. His speed is unmatchable, but his f- finishing ability he is fin- what makes that's him what He finishes very, very well at the rim. You think about in that tournament and the final game, too, uh, it goes to overtime against Dayton, and he goes for 29, and Azabuke fouls out and goes for 30-some. They combined for almost 60 points. Yeah. And he has a big one, too. But Dayton has nothing to hang their head over. They look good. They pound on Georgia. They beat up Virginia Tech. And then they they 
very well could have beat Kansas. They missed free throws at the very end. They had chance. Um, Obi Toppin is a hell of a player, but they had good play from all around. Yeah, Jalen Clutcher, he's the one who hit that three to send him in overtime. He hit that deep, like, step back three, yeah. uh, which was incredible. Uh, when the times got tough, though, they went to their bread and butter for Kansas. They gave the ball to Doak in the paint, and he could not be stopped. As a matter of fact, Obi Toppin wasn't going him late because Obi Toppin had, had four, four fouls, fouls yeah. so you didn't want him getting his fifth because he's a key player for Dayton. But he, they gave Doak the ball down low, and he just went to work. He had 30 points, something like that. Uh, he played in club. He showed why, in my opinion, he's the best back-to-the-basket big in the nation. Um, he's just incredible. He really carried him through the stretch there, especially in overtime. Um, I'll tell you, Baji, he did what he does. Devon, it was basically Devon Dodson and Yudoka Azabuki. They really both played well. Um, Again, Dayton, though, put themselves on the map a lot, right? Because people knew Obi Toppin, but how well would they perform? They had every opportunity to beat Kansas in regulation and in overtime and just miss free throws. Just miss free throws. They were down four at one point, get fouled from three, and then the kid misses his first two free throws. Yeah. So they had a chance. Dayton's going to be a force to be reckoned with, though. Looking at the rest of Maui, Michigan State was disappointing. They lose the opening round game against who we had just put on uh, shooting stars, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, yeah. Virginia Tech. Michigan State's got problems. They can't expect Cassius Winston and Rocket Watts to do the whole deal. They've no, got no, no. to get production from Xavier Tillman. They've got to develop a better big man who can get buckets on the block. And then they need somebody to come off the bench who can really shoot the basketball. They, You know who they're missing if he would have been eligible? They're missing the Joey Hauser kid. Joey Hauser, yep. The transfer from Marquette. Had they had him, that big-bodied guy, experience on the block, defender, rebounder, um, and then we're looking at the Michigan State team we all expected. Losing Josh Langford has hurt even more than we thought. Yeah, definitely hurt more than we thought. We thought they'd still be decent enough to do well. Um, I had them go into the Maui Finals to to play Kansas and getting beat, but they didn't make it that. And they almost lost to Georgia in the – Go ahead and talk about bracket. it. Go ahead and talk. But Georgia, Georgia didn't look good at all, but they had this one game where the stars showed up. Georgia was down, uh, I forgot how many points I said, like 20-some points in the second half, like 13, 14 minutes left to go. And Anthony Edwards, who did not play well in the Dayton loss, he went off. He had 33 second-half points, hit like seven threes for Georgia. Some of the shots he was hitting was contested. Most of them was contested. He was just pulling up. He was getting to the rim still. They had no answer for Anthony Edwards. He ended the night with 37 points, and they almost came back. He almost brought them back to win the game, but Michigan State ended up hitting some key plays later on. Uh, like Xavier Tillman, every time Georgia would make a huge run, Tillman would hit a three or something like that and just put it into that game. But Georgia didn't really look the best. Hammonds didn't really play well for them. He got in foul trouble again. Same thing he did for Dayton. But Anthony Ed was the star of the show. He played phenomenal and almost brought them back. Just unbelievable performance. Uh, yep. The rest of the Maui, I mean, you kind of what you expected. UCLA, they're at the, towards the bottom. Uh, BYU, Shamanad. So Kansas wins a, a good Maui, a good Maui. Dayton, I think Dayton, <clears throat> Kansas wins and look good. I think Dayton was the star of the tournament. I yeah. think their stock profile went up higher than anybody's. And real quick, another thing about Maui before we move on to another tournament, Georgia almost lost to Shamanad. It took an Anthony Edwards game winner to win that game for them. They almost lost to Shamanad. Um, but that's whatever. Uh, moving on to the battle for Atlantis, Michigan showed out. I did not expect them to win this at all. From the road they had, 
to go through. They had to go through Iowa State, who's a tough Iowa State team. And in the second round, they had to beat North Carolina, number six ranked team in the nation. And the score, the final score is not indicative. Yeah, I was going to mention the that. Second, it was close at halftime, if I remember right. It was only it was, like five, six, seven points, couple, you know, a couple possessions. But second half, Michigan went on a run. I think it was like a twenty or twenty-two zero run. Yeah, or twenty-four to three. I mean, an incredible run, and it was catalyzed. Or their defense was impeccable. They got back because you know Carolina is looking to push the ball, force Carolina in to settle for some bad jump shots. Uh, Cole Anthony tried to do too much, and then they pushed the ball in Carolina. And if they had to, they'd grind you out in the half court. And they hit three after three in the stretch. Xavier Simpson was phenomenal. They yeah. got great play from uh, Isaac, is Isaac or Isaiah Livers? I think it's Isaiah Livers. Livers lit North Carolina. John Teske was literally and physically or figuratively like big being yeah. that seven-foot frame. Franz Wagner played decent, not the greatest. He had some terrible-looking shots, but it was good enough. Um, how about De Julius? Yeah. Came off the bench, 11 points, 23 minutes, but he spelled because, remember, Xavier Simpson got four fouls early, four, yeah. and De Julius uh, settled the waters. It was like no dip-off between him and Xavier Simpson. Michigan, just they the final score, 73-64. It was more like a 15-, 20-point game. They got up big, like you said, and I thought it was going to be more of the same last year because last year, if you remember, Michigan blew them out. Um, I thought it was going to be more of the same – but UNC ended up fighting their way back in some key shots. Cole Anthony started hit some good shots for them. He was the only offense. He was the only player that did well. Uh, they only had two players to score in double figures. Uh, Anthony had 22. And Brooks, um, Garrison Brooks, he had 13. Uh, but he needs some help down there. It's a one-man show for him, for Carolina. But another game, Seton Hall versus Oregon. That was a, a game I was super that excited That was a nightcap of the first round. Yeah, nightcap of the first round. Uh, you had Peyton Pritchard for Oregon taking on Seton Hall, uh, a modest power Seton Hall team. Seton Hall had them down major, uh, 20-some points, something like that. Miles Powell in the first half, he only had four points. And I said this to Steven Decker. I'm like, it only takes one shot for him to go off. And sooner than rather than later, he went off and had like 30-some points. Next thing you know. Seven straight seven threes straight later. Seven threes. Some of the shots he was hitting. He had an and one that banked off the backboard. He banked two threes in that game. Two threes? Uh, that was just incredible, um, his performance. But how about Oregon stepping up? Peyton Pritchard, um, a- after what Moss Powell did, he stepped up and showed his leadership and led Oregon to the comeback victory. And Seton Hall, them. See, I mean, oh, great comeback, Oregon. I thought Seton Hall gave that one away. Seton Hall for sure gave it away. I thought they gave that one away. Um, they for sure. Moss Powell, he got like somewhat injured. I don't know if it was cramps or something like that. Uh, but incredible win for Oregon. Uh, Oregon then goes to Gonzaga and loses in overtime, 73-72. Had to come back from that win, too. Um Michigan obviously beat UNC. I already mentioned that. So it sets up a Michigan Gonzaga final, and Michigan did to the Gonzaga what they did to Carolina. They beat them up. Beat them up 82 64. Makes it back to back top 10 weights wins for Michigan. Uh, for Gonzaga, Kelly and Tilly led them in scoring with 20 points. For Michigan, they had incredible play from Rivers. He had 21 points. John Teske with a double double 19 points, 15 boards. You had Wagner with 10. Brooks with eight and Simpson with 13. 13 assists. I just seen that. He only, he could have had a triple double because he had six boards as well. So He's they a had Mr. Do It All. He's yeah. probably become the favorite now to win the Big Ten Player Big Ten of the Year. Player of the year. Uh, especially how Michigan State's playing, how yeah. how well Michigan's playing right now. 
Uh, Michigan wins this tournament uh, and goes from unranked to the number four team in the land. Yep. Uh, moving on, Maryland, they won their tournament in Orlando. They beat up Marquette in the final. Temple, Temple gave them a game at first round. Yeah. But almost. Anthony Cowan goes for 30 points. Yep. He was unstoppable there late. Yep. Uh, so they won their tournament. Uh, Florida State won the, I don't know what. The it was the Emerald Coast Classic. Emerald Coast Classic. Florida State ended up knocking off Tennessee in the final. Uh, no, not, not the final. In, sorry, the first, in the first game, yeah. The, they beat them 60 to 57. I actually banked on Tennessee to win, and they didn't. So, Tennessee, I'm now one and three on my bank on it. Uh, Purdue. Purdue knocks off VCU. Good win for the Boilers. Yeah. Eric Conner went for 13. Um, Jihad Proctor went for 13, and they got other bench play. Travion Williams wasn't terrible. Um, good win. So, they met, end up making a final between uh, Purdue and Florida State, and Florida State ends up. Pulling out in the second half. Yep. Uh, very defensive battle on that Purdue VCU. We knew that whole thing. I Those four it. teams are going to. And then Tennessee ends up beating VCU to give VCU two back to back losses. Two back to back losses. Um, Utah State ended up losing to St. Mary's 83 to 71 or something. Close yeah, I had to that. Utah State winning that. I had St. Mary's winning that. Jordan Ford had like 27 points. Sam Muriel had like a 21 points. I was like glad to see he was healthy enough to play, though. I still don't know if he has a complete 100%. But that was a good win. <clears throat> good, Very good win for St. Mary's. Both yeah. both that you'd consider mid-majors, both of them could do some damage come March. It was 81-73. Um, but that's like all the, like the tournament games. Uh, Texas Tech lost two in a row. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Creighton, 83-76 in overtime. Um, Texas Tech, man. I thought coming into the season they was going to do great things, and right now they're not playing. Well, so well, I mean they were undefeated up until this, and they take two losses. It's just going to be a struggle. I don't think. I think by the end of the year, because how good they're defensively, they still got players. <coughs> Jahemius Ramsey. Um, they've got the transfer Chris Clark from Tech or uh, from Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech, and it's Chris Beard coaching it. By let them get into conference play, get settled in by March. You're going to see them back to where everybody expects them. Yep, Kentucky ended up beating UAB 69-58. Yeah, we were up, I think, close to 20 at one point. Yeah. It's, it's just another coast game. First game without Nate Sestina, but EJ Montgomery and Nick Richards both played well. Yep. Both dominated in the paint. Since we've got EJ and Emmanuel Quickly back the last couple games, Kentucky's looked a lot better, starting to get more separation wins, and the beat keeps rolling on. We still need to get – here in this month, now that we're finally in December, the games and back-to-back games at the end of the month when we play Ohio State, who's currently number six, and then the following week we play number one Louisville as of right now. Yeah. We're going to figure out a lot about Kentucky then. Oh, yeah, for sure. Duke, after losing the upset against Stephen F. Austin, they struggle against one club. They, they end up winning 83-70, to 70, but Cassius Stanley got injured. Uh, what looked to be his a knee injury, Coach Gay said it was something by his hamstring, so he'll be out indefinitely for three to four weeks, something like that. They can't. Um, they really can't afford it. They're, they're not they getting cannot. any bench production. He's been arguably their best player behind Vernon Carey. Even Vernon Carey's Carey. And now you lose that. Some One of those guys, O'Connell, uh, Joey Baker, Jack White, Jack White, Goldwire, one of those guys are going to have to start producing. You're going to have to. You can't have seven bench points and expect to win. Uh, Louisville handled business in Nashville against Western Kentucky. 
we had them down like 28 to 9. I thought that would be a better game. I thought Charles Bassey, I thought the Trey Hollingsworth, experienced guys, talented guys, I thought they would give Louisville more problems than what they did. Yeah, we went up huge, and they saw him making the run in the second half. Got him within nine. Charles Bassey was doing his thing down low. We had no answer for him um, until he, like, went out, had some blood on his jersey, and after that, they just, like, stopped giving him the ball, and he couldn't really do much. And Jordan Noy stepped up, and Steve, and uh, Ryan McMahon started to hit some shots, and we ended up pulling away, get the 71-54 victory. Jordan Noy had 25 points. Dwayne Sutton had 15 and that's what locked up our number one team in the nation spot for Monday's poll. It's kind of the, the trap spot right now, though. Well, it's a new month. That was for November. It's a new month. Yeah, it's we'll a, it's a new day. It's yes, a new it is. <laughs> um, well, let's go ahead. You know, we're finally starting to get some big-time women's games. We do cover college basketball as a whole. Some of the women's games had three top ten matchups at least this past week. Number one, Oregon. They – um. Who did they beat before they had to play Louisville? They beat somebody. They, I don't actually Somebody don't. inside the top ten. And how about Indiana? Indiana. Knock, knocking off South Carolina, who was number five at the time. And yeah. then they end up turning around and gave uh, – Baylor. Baylor held a run, and then Baylor ended up beating them. The Indiana women's – this tri-area, the Indiana women's, Louisville women's, and Kentucky's women's, all ranked, all very good. All very good. All yeah. three very, very good. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the big one, number eight, Louisville, knocks off number one team in the nation, Oregon, 72-62, incredible win for Louisville women's team. Uh, Jeff Walls is doing this. He's, He's such a phenomenal fantastic coach. coach. Yep. Fantastic coach. Um, so that was a huge win. Uh, I'm trying to see the other scores here for the women's. Uh, for the women's, Florida State, number 12th ranked team in the nation, defeating number six ranked team in the nation, Texas A&M. 80 to 58. Jeez, they dominated them. Uh, for Saturday, let me click on it. Um, obviously, you had Louisville versus Oregon. I mean, it sounds weird to say upset, but they're not ranked. Notre Dame women knocks off number 21, South Florida. Yep, 67 to 51. Um, trying to see Indiana responds and beat Washington State. Oh, South Carolina destroys number two ranked Baylor, 74 to 59. Green Bay upset at number 18 ranked team Syracuse in overtime. Number three, Stanford over number 10, Mississippi State. So the point being, we, we focus a lot on the men's game, but we do, as you remember last season, we talk a lot about the big women's games. Yeah. Lots of good stuff going on, lots of shakeup. That Oregon team looked to be like this year's UConn where they were dominant. Um, and Louisville, Louisville had, if you looked at that the box score, because if you guys keep in mind, women's play four quarters. Yes. Second quarter separate. Oregon was up like nine points after the first quarter. The second quarter, if I remember right, Louisville outscored them like 25 to 8. And that separated the game. It was. And after that, we held on and kept it, had a steady pace right there and ended up upsetting. I guess you can call it upset since it's number one team in the nation. But it was a top 10 win. And now we've moved up to number two in the Associated uh, Press Bowl. AP poll for the who's number one? I didn't check. I didn't check either. Um, I don't think it'll be South Carolina. Uh, no, because Baylor loses. <clears throat> South Carolina lost. I don't uh, know. That's a good question. I didn't check the actual top twenty-five. Huh. But, oh, Stanford goes Stanford, number one. That's right. The, yeah. the new we'll do the top twenty-five for both the women's new top twenty-five. Stanford number one, Louisville two, Oregon three, UConn four, Oregon State five, South Carolina six, Baylor seven, Florida State eight, Maryland nine. Mississippi State 10, UCLA 11, Texas A&M 12, North Carolina State 13, Indiana 14, Kentucky 15, 
DePaul 16, Tennessee 17, Gonzaga 18, Michigan State 19, Arizona 20, Miami 21, Missouri State 22, Arkansas 23, Michigan 24, LSU top or 25. But that region I was telling you about, this little tri-region here, Louisville 2, Indiana 14, Kentucky 15 women's, all three programs very, very good. Yeah, and for the men's top 25, you got one number you got Louisville number one, Kansas two, Maryland three, Michigan four. The biggest the tied for the biggest jump in 70 years in the AP poll. Unranked at number four, and they deserve it. Oh yeah. They absolutely deserve it. Virginia number five, Ohio State number six, Carolina seven, Kentucky eighth, Gonzaga ninth, Duke fell to tenth. Michigan State fell to 11th, Arizona 12th, Oregon 13th, Auburn 14th, Memphis 15th, Seton Hall 16, Florida State 17, Baylor 18, Dayton 19, Colorado 20, uh, Tennessee 21, Washington 22, Villanova 23, Butler 24, and Utah State fell to 20. Absolutely, Butler deserves that. What was that tournament that they just won Um, we talked about? Oh, crap, I think. Forgot the name of it. Uh, but anyways, Butler's got some good wins on their resume. Absolutely deserves it. I'm really surprised Indiana's not in there. They've got to be like on the outside looking in. Uh, you would expect I, – I get it too because their schedule hasn't been the greatest, but December's yeah. getting ready to show out on them. They've got Florida State coming in this week. They've got Wisconsin coming up in a conference play game. They got some tough ones coming up, so we'll yeah. Indiana's gonna have their chances to get ranked. Oh yeah, they're gonna have the chances definitely. Get any ranked. any surprises on the top twenty five on either men or women's? Real quick. Um, no, not really. Uh, I like how Dayton's ranked pretty. Uh, what was it? Yeah, they got some respect, like seventeenth and nineteenth. Yeah, <clears throat> I like how they're ranked. Um, I'm glad Duke actually fell to top to tenth, um, like they should have. Michigan State fell. Uh, all around, I think this list is fine. Um, Seton Hall fell to 16th, uh, Florida State 17th. So, yeah, all around, I think this list is fine. Um, yeah, good. Uh, Michigan now it sets up 1v4. We'll be getting ready to talk about coming up tomorrow night. Big 10 ACC challenge. Yep. So, with that, Peyton, before we get on out of here <clears> on this segment right here, go ahead and give some love to East uh, EPW. Yep, our friend Connor Cushman is the host of the Everything Pro Wrestling podcast. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans, and you can find this podcast on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other podcast hosting sites. He also has a YouTube channel, so go to youtube.com and the search bar, type in Everything Pro Wrestling, and hit that subscribe button. With that being said, we're going to take a, a brief break in the action here when we come back, episode 46. We're going to start previewing some of these Big Ten ACC games on the other side of this break. We'll be back. Welcome back to episode 46 of the ECV podcast. We're now into the segment now where we start to preview a bunch of the big-time games. The calendar is flipped to December, which means now we start to really – we've got some of these tournaments and some of these bum games out of the way. Now we start to flip to some of the the more intriguing stuff as we march into conference play – Starting this week, Peyton, it's the Big Ten ACC Challenge, a fun three-day event every single year. And we've got same as with every year, we've got some marquee games that we're going to break down. We're going to focus our previews for the Big Ten ACC clashes this week. Yep. Starting with Tuesday night, which would be tomorrow night, number four <clears throat> Michigan Wolverines, the hottest team in the nation, coming off the Battle for Atlantis Championship. 
going on the road to the number one team in the land, the Louisville Cardinals. Peyton, this is your club. Let's start with you. I'm so happy this game's in the Yum Center and not in Michigan and A. Albert because that would be rough. You you said it. Michigan's the hottest team in the nation right now, coming off of the Battle for Atlanta's tournament win, uh, the tournament championship, beating two top ten ranked opponents, top ten ranked opponents, and Carolina and Gonzaga. It's going to be a tough game, tougher than I expected. I coming into the season, even about a couple weeks ago. Um, after watching Louisville play, I wasn't that necessarily excited for this game. I thought I seen us as a, like a 12-point favorite. But that's completely changed this past week because uh, how well Michigan's playing. I do not see us winning by 10 points or more like that. It's going to be a tough game, but I'm so happy we got it in Louisville. Xavier Simpson, he's going to give us problems. The bigs of Teske and Wagner, is, or how do you say his name? Wagner. Wagner, yeah. Wagner, he's going to give us problems as well. Livers, uh, they got a great squad. Jordan Howard's a great coach. Uh, I love the energy he brings to the team. We didn't mention the reviews, but after they won Battle for Atlantis, I like how he was dancing with the team, getting them yeah, involved. He did his old school <coughs> jig, too. Yeah, he, he just brings a certain swagger back to Michigan that I love, and I'm happy to see them do well. But it's going to be a tough game. Uh, we haven't played them since like three years ago when they beat us in the second round of the NCAA tournament when we had uh, Donald Mitchell and guys like that. But, listen, it's going to be a tough game. They're going to be defensive-minded. But, of course, I'd be stupid if I didn't pick Louisville to win this game with it being home. I like the home court advantage. It's going to be a whiteout game, our first annual whiteout game that we usually do every year. It's going to be a whiteout. Hopefully the crowd comes lit and prepared to win this game. Hopefully the boys uh, don't get uh, too wound up for being the number one team in the nation. They got to prove it. It's their first big test. No offense to Miami, but it's their first big test of the season so far. Uh, I got Miami, you mean Michigan? No, I said, I said no offense to Miami because. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, I, okay, it's I, our first big I follow, test. I follow you. So I, follow you. I got Louisville winning in a decently high scoring game, uh, seventy five to seventy one. It's going to be tough, but uh, being home court, uh, being in the Yum Center, I think Louisville squeaks by Michigan. Yeah, this one's tough to pick. A month ago, I say Louisville wins by double digits. Now I'm not sure because Michigan has played. They beat Iowa State. They beat North Carolina. And then they beat Gonzaga in consecutive days. Not easy. Uh, But they do. This is a true road game now. They go on the road. Um, They've had four good wins on the year because they beat Creighton at home. And then they beat the three I just mentioned on neutral floor. So now they go in the Yum Center, a whiteout game. The Yum Center, especially 1v4 now, I'd imagine it's going to be packed, locked, and ready and ready to ready to rock, if I could spit that out. I think that gives Louisville uh, an edge in that aspect for the momentum, crowd carrying them. I think Louisville's been playing very well. Yeah. Xavier Simpson is going to give the Louisville guards problems, but I think the problem for Michigan is that Louisville's got too many guards they can throw at him. Carolina had Cole Anthony, and they had – I don't remember if Anthony Harris played, but even guy like Leaky Black, a big guy who could help out. But their bench wasn't full of experienced guys. Louisville can go four or five different guards that could give Xavier problems, and I think that's the difference. I think you're going to see a guy like Ryan McMahon have a big game. Just on purpose, I think Michigan will key in on Jordan Moore. I actually don't know if he's going to have a big game or at all. He might get double figures, but I think that scheme, schematically, the way Michigan will play, Michigan down low, I think could with Teske could get 
Enoch in foul trouble, which would hurt Louisville because they're very thin on the front line. I know Malik Williams is back. I know yeah. he's playing, but he's still not up to par yet. But I think the the depth that Louisville is going to throw at Michigan, and then more specifically Xavier Simpson, and then being at home court gives Louisville the edge that they need. I think cards win 72 to 61. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a tough game. Michigan's a very tough team. Uh, Jawan Howard's a great coach, like I said, but it's going to be tough. I can definitely see Michigan winning. I just like the fact that Louisville is on the home floor, and it's going to be a whiteout game. So we both got Louisville winning. The next matchup for the ACC Big Ten um, Challenge, uh, another game Tuesday. We got number 10 ranked Duke going at number 11 Michigan State. Uh, two teams that I think who's underperformed this year start off. I mean, Duke lost to Stephen F. Austin, Mission State lost to Virginia Tech, and obviously Kentucky. Um, not bad opponents, but Michigan State's miss- missing their uh, one of their best scorers, uh, Joshua Lankford, and they don't have anybody coming off the bench that can really do much. Walker Watts, he is starting to play a little bit better for them, so Cassius Winston's getting help. But it's besides uh, Cassius Winston, I mean, Xavier Tillman, he's doing his thing. But I don't know if they got enough to beat Duke. And the same thing for Duke. Trey Jones has to play better. Cassius Stanley will not be a part of this game. So that's a tough uh, loss for Duke. Vernon Carey, he's going to do what he, he does. Um, but if Xavier Tillman, a guy like that, can get Vernon Carey in foul trouble, then Duke could be in trouble. Um, I don't know. The Both the both, both benches. Bit, uh, benches, both bitches, both them bitches. <laughs> yeah. I don't like them both, so yeah, you probably right. Uh, both benches aren't the best, um, but they do got star players for both teams. Vernon Carey for Duke, Cash Wins for Michigan State. I do think being at Michigan State, it's a tough place to play. I think Michigan State squeaks by in a low scoring 65 60. 65-60 win for Michigan State. I feel like these two teams match up every year since like the year 2000. <clears throat> I feel like they always play each other, either in the NCAA tournament or the Champions Classic or like the Big Ten ACC. I feel like they match up every year. Obviously, Michigan State got the better of them when it mattered last year in the Elite Eight. Duke, probably without Cassius Winston. Duke on the road, not looking their best. Vernon Carey, I think, is going to have a big night in the paint. But again, who steps up for Duke? Yeah, Matthew Hurt can't disappear. Trey Jones against Cassius Winston will be fun. Michigan State's not all um, that impressive either right now. No, not a lot. I mean, they're not bad, but and they play a tough schedule, so they will be better as the season goes on. Again, because it's at home, and I trust Michigan State right now a little bit more than I do Duke. I think Michigan State wins. 69-65, but – About the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be – it doesn't look as good now as it did a month ago. Oh, for sure it doesn't. Um, last month we was thinking maybe this could be like number one versus number two or something like yeah. that. Uh, but it's not. It said it's 10 versus 11. It's still, it's still probably be a good game. Just both teams aren't performing the, the best right now. Um, not performing to their potential, uh, but it should be a good game. Um uh, also on Tuesday night, this one's a very interesting one. Number 17, Florida State, coming off their Emerald Coast Classic wins, goes into Assembly Hall. We can all agree Assembly Hall is one of the absolute hardest places to play. You put that up there with Fog Allen. You put it up there with Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yeah. 
Indiana undefeated hasn't played nobody in November, but we've talked about this. It's not their fault. I mean, I, it's whatever, right? They can only play who's ahead of them. Indiana looks balanced. They play 11, 12 guys most nights, or at least some nights, and all of them contribute. We talk about Duke, Michigan State, or whatever, needing guys off the bench to produce. Indiana is getting guys off the bench to produce. They haven't started um, senior Devontae Green in the last couple games, and he's coming off the bench getting you 15, 20 points. That's a difference maker. Um, they need to shoot the three a little bit better, but I like their overall depth. We know how good Florida State is defensively, how literally big they are. Uh, three seven-footers, a ton of guys over 6'5". They're typical Leonard Hamilton wing players or guards who are like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, long, athletic, get to the rim. But that noise and that it's going to be a lit crowd in Assembly Hall, I like the Hoosiers in this one. I think Indiana can stretch – Florida State's bigs out away from the rim enough, and they have their own bigs. Getting Joey Brunk from Butler is help. Yep. Getting a healthy Jerome Hunter's help. Uh, you talk about their own bigs. De- or, uh, uh, oh gosh, dang it, DeAndre Davis. Not DeAndre Davis. What's his oh name? Oh my um, gosh, I cannot think of it. But you know who I'm talking about. I, I can't even think of his name about. right now. But Indiana, I think they've got a lot of pieces. Trace Jackson Davis is going to pull people away from the rim. Their guards are playing well. Al Durant. I like Indiana, and I like Indiana in the upset by nine, ten points. I'll tell you what. Friday night, I went and played open gym at a church that's two blocks away from my house. I went and played with some friends, and one of my friends there, who's a group of the, uh, who's a member of the podcast, of the member of the Facebook group, Colton Henderson. I went up to him. I'm like Colton. He's like, "What?" I said, "You know, Indiana's going to beat Florida State, right?" And he's like, "Really? You think so? Why is that?" And I'm like. Because it's in Assembly Hall, that's why. And Assembly Hall is a tough place to play. Last year, I knew it. They beat Louisville in Assembly Hall. Uh, Louisville was playing very well last year, so was Indiana. But Assembly Hall is just a tough place to play. Whether IU has a tough team or not, it's always going to be tough. Uh, so I like – I'm with you. I like Indiana by like 10 points here. Um, I just like their depth of their – I just like their roster and how well they're playing right now. They even pressed me from a team going into the season. I didn't know how these were going to perform. They performed very well so far. Hell, they're undefeated. Their first big test, Florida State. I like Indiana upsetting Florida State. Yeah, the Wednesday night clashes of this are two big ones as well. You go uh, Wednesday night, number six, Ohio State at number seven, North Carolina. I'll keep it short and simple. North Carolina looks to push the tempo. Ohio State's looked very deep, very defensive-minded, can score. They look very balanced. Definitely underrated in a lot of ways preseason by even me. I didn't – we had them top four in the Big Ten, but I didn't know how good they would be. Yeah. Caleb Weston looks <laughs> extremely good. Guard play looks good. But it's in Chapel Hill. Carolina's a little upset that they didn't have the showing they probably wanted in the battle for Atlantis, even though they did beat Oregon. But I think getting blown out by Ohio State rival Michigan has upset them. They do need more help for Cole Anthony. But those bigs, I think, are going to run Caleb Wilson and the bigs from Ohio State to death. And I think North Carolina wins this one at home in a high-scoring one because, <clears throat> yeah, it's Carolina, so why not? Uh, 87 to 81. But I do think Ohio State's a very good team. I love this Ohio State squad. DJ Cotton, who's a freshman, four-star point guard coming off the bench. I think he's very impressive. And obviously, Caleb Weston's very good. He's a double-double machine. Um, I like Ohio State in this game. Uh, I know it's at Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill's a tough place to play. But 
Carolina only has basically one player, and that's the Cole Anthony show. He's phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but he needs some help. I seen a post after they lost to Michigan that very uh, intrigued me, and it said that this Carolina team reminds them of the Oklahoma team when they had Trey Young. Um, and I kind of see the similarities with that. I only have one solid player, not really much guys to offer. But I like Ohio State in this game. I like in high scoring 81 to 73. I know it's in Chapel Hill, but I'm a huge fan of Caleb Weston and Ohio State Buckeyes. So I got Ohio State going to Chapel Hill and getting it done. Good. We got one more on the docket in this Big Ten ACC class. Yes, sir. We got number five, Virginia, going at Purdue. Rematch of last year's incredible Elite Eight game, uh, which could have went Purdue's way. But this game's intriguing to me. Virginia's defense is obviously the best in the nation. Purdue's has an underrated defense as well. So it's going to be very low scoring. The thing is about Virginia, their offense is not playing well right now. Yes, they're holding teams about 30 points a game or under that caliber range. But the offense ain't showing out. And they're still struggling against teams that they probably should blow out. So their offense has to be better in this game. And same thing for Purdue. Uh, their offense has to be better. They're coming off a great win against VCU and almost pulled out the upset against Florida State in the finals of that tournament that we talked about. But I I mean, it's in Purdue, but I still like Virginia's defense holding off Purdue in this one. Well, I know State. our main sponsor and friend of the show, Larry Rowe, is supposed to be there with a bunch That's of his right. Purdue fans and friends and family. So the low should be in Mac Arena. Mackey's going to be, I would bet money, it's going to be rocking on Wednesday night. Oh, they yeah. owe Virginia. Uh, they owe Virginia one. You can't go back and change what happened in the lead eight, but you can get them now. Virginia dealing with an injury right now. Yeah. Um. Oh, uh, Braxton Key. Braxton Key's hurt. He's out indefinitely. I don't know how that long. hurts Virginia Ooh. depth uh, in the front court as well. I like Purdue. I think Purdue shows up at home. They've been very inconsistent this year so far to start. They've been very wishy-washy. But beating VCU is no, no uh, small feat. They played right there with Florida State in the size and the links. I like them knocking off number five Virginia and giving them some payback. Not going to be in a high-scoring game. Neither team is going to score a bunch of points. Yeah. But I think that Purdue can defend just as well when they need to as Virginia does. They have more scoring options. You've seen Jihad Proctor's been lighting it up since coming to Purdue, the transfer from High Point. Yeah. He can go get you 30 if he needs to. But Eric Hunter, his backcourt running mate, has been playing a lot better. As long as Nojo Eastern plays good and defends well, I like Purdue in this game. I like them 59-50. I think that they can win by nine. Either it's going to be low scoring. Uh, I don't expect them getting more than 60 points this game. It's just how Virginia plays so well on defense, and same thing with Purdue. They're a great defensive team as well. But I just think Virginia's defense is the best in the nation. And Tony Blant's a great coach. And I think Virginia's going to do their thing and pull out the dub in Arena. And I don't think Purdue has going to have much to offer. Uh, but anyways, that's like all the Big Ten ACC challenge games. That's mainly the – the better games for this week, at least, until, like, Saturdays and stuff like that. But um, moving on, we'll go ahead and get into, like, news and recruiting. Yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll add this in real quick. Moving on to news. We only got one piece of news. I've already mentioned it. But Duke's Cassius Stanley exits Winthrop game with left, uh, left leg injury. Uh, it looked like it was going to be his knee, but Coach K said it was his hamstring. Don't know how long he's going to be out. I think he said maybe a couple, two or three weeks, maybe four weeks, something like that. 
Uh, tough loss for them. That's a key player for that uh, Duke squad who really doesn't need anybody to get injured right now, especially how well, not well the bench is playing right now. Yeah. Um, but go ahead and mildly clean those. Uh, it's not much. I really have one piece. Uh, four-star K.K. Robinson has committed to Arkansas. The six-foot point guard ultimately chose the Razorbacks over Kansas, but received offers from Illinois, TCU, and uh, other schools. Robinson is a top 75 prospect in a 2020 class. He joins four stars Moses Moody, Devontae Davis, and Jalen Williams. Arkansas now has the fifth-ranked recruiting class uh, for the 2020 class. Great pickup for them. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, we knew when Arkansas hired Eric Musselman that this would happen. Within, They're undefeated currently right now. Yeah, that's right. Within the next two or three seasons, you can see Arkansas perennial top 15 team every year. Uh-huh. I would imagine. So with that being said, we've got the second part of this wonderful interview coming up with Mr. Roger Harden on the other side. It's already been pre-recorded. You guys will love it. I promise you. The first half of the interview, you heard us talk about his his days as Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana, come from Valparaiso, his background, talking all about the Indiana-Louisville rivalries, games yeah. from when he played. The second part of this is going to be more modern stuff we're getting into, get some predictions from him. And we talk some more about what it was like going to coach night basketball camp. Lots, lots of good stuff coming up in the second part of this interview with Mr. Roger Harden. Before we switch on out, though, we've mentioned it, talked to you about it. Got to, sh- again, show some love to our friends and sponsor Applied Right Painting and Restoration. Normally Tyler hits this interview or this ad read here, but Applied Right Painting and Restoration. Hit them up on Facebook under Applied Right Pest- Painting and Restoration. Hit up Larry Rowan Company for the holiday season right now. Let them know ECB sent you. And go get yourself some uh, some quality professional paint jobs done. Sure. With that being said, we're going to take a break in the action. And when you come back, you'll hear part two with Mr. Roger Hart. You're listening to ECB, episode 46. What's happening, College Hoops fans? It is Conrad Cushman from the Everything Pro Wrestling podcast, and I'm here to tell you how you can follow Everything Pro Wrestling. First, go to your Facebook, type in the search bar, Everything Pro Wrestling. Look for our official page with over 1,000 likes and make sure you give it a like. Also, we have a closed group with over 200 members in it where you can join discussions and talk about anything and everything pro wrestling. We also have a Twitter handle, and that is at EPW Show. And we have a podcast, and the podcast is available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And remember, everything pro wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. Now let's get back to talking some college hoops. Hey, we're back. Episode 46 rolls on. We're back with part two of our interview with Mr. Roger Harden. Uh, we talked about in the first part of the interview, we talked about the rivalries with Indiana, Louisville, um, his journey from being Mr. Basketball in 1982, all the way what led him to the University of Kentucky. Yep. All the good stuff. Now we know Roger is a basketball junkie and fanatic like we are. So now we're going to talk some more of the modern game with Roger. Um, obviously, we're recording on a Monday. Normally, we record on Sundays. So because that, just a few hours ago, the new Top 25 AP poll just came out. And for the fourth time in a month, we have a new number one team in the land. That would be the Louisville Cardinals. Roger, again, I know you're, you watch the game. You're still very active in it. 
What is some of your thoughts being a month in the season already, having four number one teams in the land already, and kind of your thoughts on uh, the landscape of college basketball one month in? Well, uh, it, it, you know, usually you have somebody that's, that keeps that number one early, but with the knockoffs of uh, Evansville beating Kentucky and uh, um, Stephen Austin, F. Austin beating Duke, uh, and the emergence of Michigan, which I don't know any of us saw how they were going to explode onto the stage. And obviously Louisville, you know, they, I think they're very worthy of being number one at this point in the country. I'm not sure there's a dominant team right now that you can say, wow, I'm just not sure as that team gets better at being this early in the year, uh, how, how they're not going to be a final four team or a national championship team. But I think there's, there's probably probably 10 to 12 teams, I think, that could possibly, you know, uh, make it to the Final Four. And then from there, it's just going to be the bounce of a ball or a turnover or a mental mistake that's going to separate uh, somebody from being a national champion and not being a national champion. But, you know... Speaking to the new number one Louisville, I think that's going to really help Coach Mack with recruiting. I think just in his second year to already be where he's at right now uh, speaks a lot for what the job he's done. Juwan Howard at Michigan. Uh, wow, if somehow he can pull that off, obviously, I think, you know, guys that are in high school, if they don't know who Juwan Howard was, their mom or dad knows who Juwan yeah. Howard was, or their coach knows who Juwan Howard is, what that's going to do for those teams on the recruiting trail as well as, you know, uh, you should bring a lot of pride to the respective schools that they have. We stood behind, literally right behind Juwan Howard. Uh, we went and covered the Nike EYBL AAU circuit back in May when it was up here in Indianapolis. Yep. All the top you know, top talent pretty much in high school basketball that's on the recruiting circuit that was up there. So that's the reason we went up there and covered some of this. And Juwan Howard was watching, I think it was a son, right? It was. On it was. one court, and we stood right behind him. This was a week and a half, two weeks before he gets a Michigan job. Um, his demeanor, just even standing there, though, you could just tell this guy has something special on him. And the job he's done, because we had Michigan pick – mid-pack yeah. of the Big Ten in our preseason poll. And that's only because you lose your coach. You lose a guy like Charles Matthews. You lose a lot of playmakers. Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole, um, the lefty. Uh, uh Iggy's Brisdakis. And you really only bring back Xavier Simpson and John Teske. Yeah. And the development, we knew they'd be good defensively, but the development, they want to push the ball. But if they don't, if they don't have it, they're – mighty comfortable playing in the half court and what they just did at the battle for Atlantis. They went through Iowa state, a good Iowa state team. Yeah. They wrecked North Carolina uh -huh. and then they beat up a good Gonzaga team. That's super impressive. They go from unranked yeah. to number four in the nation, like the biggest jumper, I think tied for the biggest jump in the AP poll in 70 years. Yes, and really when I watch college basketball, based off my experience playing in Kentucky, I think the intangibles are so overlooked now when you when you evaluate basketball teams. When I when I watched Michigan, uh, or even you take an Auburn that got to the Final Four last year, just a year before, you know they were in the tank, and uh, a year or two before they were they were at the bottom of the SEC. But if you get guys who play with a sense of purpose, 
if you got guys that uh, listen, to, believe in their coach, and their coach has has made them believe in the possibilities of what they can do. For me, that is a very dangerous team. When we played, when I would watch tape, uh, we would always watch tape of the team. You can watch the X and O's, what they do or whatever. But when you saw a team that played together, their body language, they're helping each other up, they're taking charges. You look at their bench; their bench is active. Those are the most lethal teams that you can run into and that is more lethal than uh, all the talent that you have on that team. I've played on talented teams that were not together that weren't hooked up and I've played on teams that were less talented that were hooked up and believe me those are the most lethal teams and those teams that you're seeing rise to the top right now have those intangibles and they're knocking off people that, that people can't understand why that's happening. So um, yeah. you know, when, we, when we evaluate coaches and X and O's and how many five-star players they have, those are all important ingredients, but don't forget those intangibles. Yeah, I 100% agree. And we've all played. You played at a higher level than we did. But it's still the same that winning and playing a certain way is contagious. Yeah. So now Michigan, not only are they – they've proven that they can win, but they're doing it a certain way. They're being, like you talked about, being connected with one another – they're playing their ass off on defense. And yes. so now they believe that they can be anybody, and that makes them extremely dangerous. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And there's no agendas. However, now there, here's, a, here's a dynamic that changes. Once you get to that level, those guys were fighting for uh, notoriety and respectability. The dynamic can change, you know, when when this guy starts to get written about and all of a sudden you get up to that number one level and people start, you know, it is a intoxicating thing, fellas, to be on a number one team in the country, regardless of when it is. You always want to win the national championship. But when you're walking around campus and you're on the number one team in the country, it does something to your head <laughs> and you get a little lethargic and you start to think you're a little invincible. Well, that's what happened. That's what theoretically we all assume happened to Kentucky against Evansville. They get to number yeah. one, you look good, and then <laughs> yeah. then you just yeah. lay an egg overlook them. Hey, Peyton, I know Peyton because we're on the topic of um, you know Michigan and their defense and stuff. We were proving last year, Peyton, that defense will obviously carry you to a championship. You don't always have to score ninety points. Peyton. No, not at all. And that shows in the first month of college basketball this year with Virginia, they're holding teams like under forty points and it's incredible. And I think yeah. they're the best def- defensive team in the nation. Uh with that pack line D, the style, how Tony Bennett plays. And they lost three all time players. All timers, you lost Hunter, Jerome, and Kyle Guy. Um just incredible how they lost all three of those guys, bought back Diakite, bought back K.A. Clark, and they're still just dominating teams and beating them. The offense isn't looking the best right now, but that's something you can approve on. But defense wins championships, and it shows last year. What do you think about Virginia's defense, though? Well, you know, first of all, it's one of the biggest adjustments you make from being a high school player is you've got to learn how to play defense because if you if you're if you break down you're going to hurt your team and that takes discipline it takes concentration and you have to be taught well to play 
good defense. I learned to play great defense in high school because I used to go to Coach Knight's camp. And when you went to Bobby Knight's camp, we weren't down there to eat ice cream. He was there to teach you how to play defense and to get in the passing lanes and how to block out and some of those things. Uh, I played for some great defensive coaches. But when you have five guys that are committed to being great defenders and staying in front of the ball so that you don't have to help, you watch Virginia, watching close. They play that pack line, some of those pack line principles, but rarely do they ever get broken down off the dribble. Right. Those guys yeah. stay in front of you. And you should be able to do that irrespective of who that player is. If you understand distance and you're concentrating on that middle and you got your hands up and you're moving and you're not going for the ball, and you know that great defense is solid. Great defense is not reaching and getting that pick two or three times a game because eventually you're going to get exposed. But great defense is being solid so that you're – we would always grade ourselves. How many times did we need help defense? And Virginia is phenomenal with that. And you're only going to get one shot, and they and nobody teaches better. I mean, you got to give it all to Coach Bennett. Those guys don't foul either. No, that's the thing about that. And they've built a culture now. Obviously, before winning the national title, the last – Six years, they've been perennial top five, top ten, top of the ACC because of their defense. Now, especially since they win the title, they go in these recruits' homes, and they're still picking off four-star kids. It's not like they're bringing in two stars and developing them. They can go get four stars. But when you Tony Bennett and company comes into your house, you know I'm going to have some freedom to play on the offensive side, but I better be ready to play defense. So now you know what you're walking into if you go to Virginia and play for them. So they built that identity. You talked about um, Virginia. They don't foul. They don't – how many times they get beaten off the ball. The teams, if you watch over the last couple of years, the teams that's really hurt Virginia or a team like – and I think Auburn had them last year. But a team yes. like Auburn or when they lost the the 16-1 against Baltimore County, that team broke them down time after time, got them playing in the open court and hit a bunch of threes. I think that's the key. Even Duke beats them twice last year yeah. because they were able to use their, their athleticism, beat them off the baseline mm-hmm. when the ball side, like the help, they didn't get to the baseline in time, and then either get to the rim or hit a three on them. I think that's the only ways you can beat Virginia. Yeah, it is. And you can't just settle for a three either. Virginia, if you play Virginia, you've got to get it out and get it up before they get set. Yes. And and Carolina does a great job of that. And and what Coach Bennett does when he plays those teams that can get out on them, when the ball goes up, they'll send two back. They don't just send one back. They'll send two back because they realize if if you can get out and, and start penetration and get them on their heels and kick it and start swinging it, okay, that's that's when they become like every other basketball team. They're now in a recovery situation. But if you're going to walk the ball up and you're not going to have a strategy to get it up and get it going, you're going to struggle most of the night. For sure. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit from teams, is there a better player or at least a more fun player in college basketball right now than Miles Powell? No. I mean, Wow. What a joy to watch, right? Oh, the guy is – we've seen it last year. Um, we've seen it last year, what he could do. But coming back this year, being all the expectations, um, you know, preseason All-Americans and whatnot, he literally – all it takes, if you watched him the other night in that game against Oregon, 
at halftime, he had, I think, two, three, four points. Something like And that. then he comes out and hits seven threes in a row. Oh, he's, the definition, he's the definition of just let him see it go in the bucket one time, and it's game one from there. I love watching Miles Powell play. Yes. I, 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 you know, and that's the great thing about this era, you know, that, that as, as I watch it from yesteryear, the freedom that guards have, the perimeter players, you know, because, you know, you can be a four and play out on the perimeter, but you, you have that freedom to turn it loose from three. The coaches understand the power of the three and they let him shoot the three. And, and I think that's a great change in college basketball. And, and, and he and so many others who are, have the ability stretch the floor like that are just a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you talk about a guy like Marcus Howard can put up numbers. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. a bunch of guys like that. I just love the versatility of Miles Powell. I think he's going to be a proven pro for the next decade. Uh, may not be the star, but I think he's going to be find himself in the league for the next decade or more. Oh, I think he's that sure. type of guy. Sure. Um, if you're starting right now with the modern game the way it is, um, and you're starting a program or however you want to do it, you're taking over a program as the AD, you get one coach, money's not an issue, whatever, you get one coach to lead your program, who do you take right now and why? And it can be somebody who used to coach too. I'll put that caveat. You can go pick somebody from the NBA like a Brad Stevens or a Billy Donovan or bring or whoever. One coach to start your program, who do you trust and why? I think it would depend on where I'm at, you know, I mean, because one thing that I think is important is, is that uh, certain fan bases, uh, you know, have certain expectations. I mean, Billy Donovan, I mean, what he did at Florida, actually what I think he's done at Oklahoma City. I always love his offenses. Uh, I don't think you could go wrong with Billy Donovan. If, if I had to, uh, to, put, to, regardless of where I was at, I think Billy Donovan, his interaction with the fans, uh, his ability to recruit, his ability to teach players, his ability to 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 get things going. Now, minus some of the the publicity that would come with him, I, I love Rick. Okay. Well, I love Rick Pitino still. Even to this day, you'll hear anybody, I'll argue with anybody, I'm a diehard Kentucky fan, but I always appreciated what he did for us in a time when we really needed it. And I, what he did at Louisville, what happened is whatever, and he can be, he can be a certain way sometimes, but I still will always be a fan of Rick Pitino. Yes, and and I must say, you know, I think we're blessed to have Cal. Cal has won at Memphis. He's won. He's won at UMass. You can put John Calipari anywhere, and he's going to rise to the top. He's proven he knows how to do that as well. But you know, the Brad Stevens. I mean, to be able to pick one off the top of my head, you know, uh, I, I kind of you know took Cal out of the equation because he's at Kentucky right now. Right. But if we had to fill that spot in the future. Uh, Okay, that was my next question, just a theoretical kind of fun play around question. So I know Cal, he's he's re-up for a lifetime deal or next 10 years or whatever, but at some point he's eventually going to have to move on. If you were a betting man, who would you say, if say Cal decides to walk away tomorrow or at the end of the year, if you're a betting man, the the realistic possibility – who would you be – or who would you have as the next Kentucky coach? Because I have one answer that I've said for the last – probably the last year that would be my favorite or one of my favorites 
but I want to hear what you would say. Kentucky as an assistant coach. He, he knows what Kentucky basketball is all about. He was there during a, probably one of the most story periods of our career, uh, uh, you know, in our tradition. Uh, you know, so I, he would, for me, be, be probably be, be my choice if that was it. Now, you know, you've got a couple second-tier coaches as well, but, you know, the style of play, I know our fans would like it. I know the way he interacts with our fans and his ability to go out and recruit and make kids better, I think, would be phenomenal for Kentucky basketball. Yes, uh, Billy Donovan, I'm right there with you. Uh, I kind of, for some reason, I guess I took him out of the equation, but yes, Billy Donovan would be my number one. Yes. But if we're talking about college coaches that's currently coaching now, my favorite coach in all of the land outside of, obviously, Coach Cal, I am a big, big Chris Beard mark. I love what he does. I love um, the style of play he has at Texas Tech, the success that he's brought to a program that, I mean, they had some success under Coach Knight, but he's taken it to another level. Um, he, he's now bringing in four stars. He's in the mix for five stars. He's a – I don't know. I, there's something about Chris Beard that I find very attractive as a head coach. Um, what, do you have any thoughts on Chris Beard as coach? I, I love Coach Beard. I mean, um, I'm fond of him for several reasons. Uh, you know, he was mentored by Coach Knight, and obviously, I have a great respect for Coach Knight and his his knowledge and the way that he can, uh, you know, uh, marshal a team and bring a program to the top. But one of his assistants is Sean Sutton, who yep. I'm very fond of. I played for Eddie, and I watched Sean play high school ball, and I was at Kentucky when he was there. Uh, but uh, you know what he's done at Texas Tech, and what I like about it, I look at it as a player. I, I see genuine affection that his players have for him, and I love the way that he connects his players. Look, at they are absolutely crazy about basketball in Lubbock, Texas, Texas right now, which is a big football state. Mm -hmm. So I put him on a bigger stage out of Kentucky. I think he would be – you couldn't go wrong with Chris Beard as well. Absolutely. So as we start to wind mm -hmm. things down, uh, Roger, we're going to start rapid firing some stuff at you. We actually do have uh, one of our members, our, our you know, loyal members in our Facebook group, listeners, does a lot for us, one of the admins in the Facebook group as well. Johnny Stroud has a question for you. Yep. He wants to know what is your stance on college athletes being paid to play legally soon? I think that it's – uh, I, uh, in a perfect world, I'd love for college athletics to go back where coaches are getting paid a a very good salary, but not obscene salaries that it's escalated to, I, and the rest of the money goes to the university. In the current setup, I am for players getting to uh, to get paid. I think eventually. Uh, I think the NCAA is going to try to stall it. They're going to act like they're doing something. But ever since, even when I was in college, you would receive a letter every year from multiple uh, law firms across the country to unionize uh, college athletics uh, athletes. And I think right now they don't have anybody at the table to, uh, to, to negotiate for them to be able to do their own shoe deal, their T-shirt deals and some of that. Because once that happens, the athletic office 
the money that's coming from the Nikes and from the big television people and some of that, okay, that's going to start going to the kids and they're going to start paying attention to their fans again. And they're going to have to start making revenue from attendance and they're going to have to start making revenue from, you know, their apparel deals and some of that. They're going to have to build pride. And that's when you're going to see us go back to playing at Indiana. You're going to see us go back and playing at Purdue in some of those places. So in the current state that it's in, I am for getting paid and being able to market themselves. We've had this big discussion the last couple months, and we're very passionate. We feel the same way. Uh, We feel like kids should be able to make – it doesn't have to be millions. We're not talking millions, but if it's their likeness and they're the ones putting the work in, they should be able to at least get something. But um, So we're with you on that. A couple more rapid-fire things. we got a lot of games this week, lots of uh, top 25 matchups with the Big Ten ACC challenges stuff going on. Yep. So Peyton's going to rapid fire you some games. Just give us a prediction and maybe a quick why. All right, starting off, you got number four Michigan going at number one Louisville. I'm going to go with Michigan on this. I know it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a Kentucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it'll sound like that, but I think that team uh, is on a mission. I think Louisville, it's their first time they've been ranked number one. And honestly, it's a dangerous place to be right now. Uh, I think Louisville will be, has a little bit more pressure on them to win. I think a little, uh, there's no reason why Michigan uh, coming in as the number four team. I think they'll be a little looser. I saw them take the runs of North Carolina. I saw them take the runs of a great Gonzaga team, Iowa State. And I think Michigan comes out the victor in that. Game. Fair enough. Fair enough. Next one, you got number 10, Duke, going at number 11, Michigan State. Uh, I like uh, – where's that game at? Is that at Michigan State? Yeah, it's in yes. East Lansing. Okay. I, I, I like Michigan State in that game. I think Duke is struggling a little bit. They've, Even though they've, they've, you know, they've not lost at the Stephen F. Austin game, I don't know that I, I saw maybe some of the progress that you would expect a team – Come out, I forget who they played. Winthrop. They played Winthrop. And Cassius Stanley got hurt. I think when you get upset at home, the next team that comes in, I think you got to drill them. I think they pitter-pattered a little too much. And when you go to East Lansing, you better be ready because Michigan State's ready to prove something. I'm agreeing. So we've got got three more real quick rapid fire. If you just want to give us the winner, that's okay. Um, Okay. Number 17, Florida State at... Assembly Hall to play the undefeated Hoosiers. That's going to be an underrated fun one, in my opinion. I think that's going to be a very exciting game. It's a big game for Indiana. But I think Florida State's played in a lot of great arenas. Assembly Hall will will be lit, but I think Florida State has a little too much for them right now. But it will be a close game. Yeah, Florida State's size is hard for a lot of teams to handle. Peyton, you got two more for him. Number six, Ohio State goes at Chapel Hill to play number seven, late North Carolina Tar Heels. I'm going to go with Ohio State on this. I like Ohio State. I think they're a little bit even underrated as high as they're rated right now. Where are they? Are they number what? What are they? Number six. Okay, I think they're a little higher than that. Uh, I think uh, North Carolina, when I saw them play uh, in the uh, in the tournament uh, out west, I think they got some chemistry issues right now that they need to iron out before they start winning games like Ohio State. And Ohio State doesn't have chemistry issues right now. Good point. And the last one, uh, number five, Virginia at Purdue. Who you got? I am going to go with... 
on this one. I think uh, Mackey Arena will be loud and proud. I think they they felt like they got nipped last year. I know what it's like to play in Mackey Arena, and I like the way that they played. Even though they, I thought they deserved to win. I thought they had that Florida State game one, which proves to me they can play against Lake. They play very similar. I don't know that their de- uh, Virginia's defense will have an effect on them, but they face that kind of defense every day in practice. So I'm going to go with an upset with Purdue. Ooh, I like that. I can't give away mine yet because it's for another segment, but trust me, I, I like that pick right there. Um, so as we start to wind down, Roger, though, just real quick, name two or three players that – you were able in your career, whether it be in the pros, I know you had a cup of coffee with the Lakers back in the Showtime era, or your time at Kentucky, or even high school. Two or three of the absolute best players you've ever stepped on the floor against. Well, obviously, I got to, I thought played guarded the the greatest point guard of all time, Magic Johnson, who was a great joy to be in the locker room with as a rookie, a fourth round pick for the Lakers. When Magic Johnson walked into the locker room. Everybody, he greeted everybody before he sat down to get dressed from the trainer to the manager to the rookies. You felt like he was a best friend. He showed me up front and personal what leadership was like. But also, I got to see what it was like to guard a 6'9 freak at the point. Uh, and then uh, college-wise, I got to play against the great Akeem Olajuwon in Rupp Arena. I thought that uh, five-slam-a-jam team in 84, though we beat them in Rupp, not sure we could have beat them anywhere but Rupp that year, was a blast to play against. But, wow, to watch him run the floor, to go down the lane and see him coming across for help side defense was a little but it was it was wonderful to play to, to say that I got to step on the floor against two of absolutely maybe the top ten players of all time. Yeah, and then that five slam jamma too, because you're worried about Hakeem, and then you almost kind of forget about Clyde Drexler. It just comes yes. down and dunk on your head. Yes, absolutely. So, so I, it was it was great. So I did a little quick research as mm-hmm. always. Career high, this is college stats, career high in points, 18 points versus Alabama, March 8th, 1986. And then your career high in assists is pretty impressive, actually. 12 assists versus Tennessee, February 28th, 1985. Any recollection of those just off the top of your head? I do. I became an assist man. I averaged close to 30. I actually held the single season assist record. Let me give myself some props. Uh, and for one season, my senior year, I set a, uh, an assist record in a single season that wasn't broken until the great John Wall. John Wall, I remember him breaking that. Against West Virginia, the game that we got beat in the Sweet 16, but everybody was the like, are you, you disappointed? I'm like, no, tomorrow the paper, my name's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm 25 years from from the game and I'm going to be in the same sense as John Wall. That's awesome. That's, that's, a, that's pretty impressive, though. Uh, 12 assists yeah. versus the Tennessee Volunteers. Well, Roger, first of all, we, we thank you. This has been – we went two parts because I just told Peyton we have more to get into. We thank you for your time. Um, obviously, you're welcome on any time you want to come talk hoops. We'll have you on as a guest. We'll carve out your own segment if you want. <laughs> You're welcome here at ECB anytime you want. But before we get out of here, you got anything you want to plug, any appearances, anything you want to uh, let the people know how to find you real quick? No, 
I can tell you is, is love each other and uh, reach out and help somebody. We got a lot of things going out there in society. I know you guys love the game, and we've got like, we've got a drug epidemic in this country that 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 I I've lost a brother to uh, to opioids. I lost a younger brother to an overdose. And reach out and help somebody, and they need help. They don't need to be incarcerated. I'd like to plug that. Basketball is a great game. I, I've enjoyed sharing your passion. Obviously, you guys know the game. You got a great passion for the game. It's been an honor, and all the, I wish you all nothing but the best. Maybe someday when I'm grandkids and you guys are on ESPN, I'll go. Hey, I did a podcast with those guys. We're we're doing it out of their home down in Indiana. Okay, so I wish you nothing but the best, fellas. Well, and uh, enjoy the season. Well, thank you very much. Like I said, the offer's there anytime you want. You have my contact information. We'll get you on as many times as you want. This is an open platform for you to hop on and talk with us. But ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Roger Harden, I have to say it again, the 1982 Indiana Mr. Basketball and Kentucky, uh, I guess you'd call him legend, yep. Kentucky, former Kentucky Wildcat, former L.A. Laker, Roger, thank you again, my friend, and be safe. Thank you. Thank you. God bless all of you. Thank you. ECB episode 46 will roll on after this. What's going on, ECB fans? My name is Peyton Burton, a.k.a. J3X, and I am the host of the J3X Show. The J3X Show is a professional wrestling podcast and also an MMA podcast as well. On the wrestling side, you can find our predictions for every WWE, AEW, and NXT pay-per-view, and also find our pay-per-view review episodes there, too. On the MMA side, you can find everything from our predictions for most UFC pay-per-views, personal top five lists, and interviews as well. So if you want a fun podcast to listen to, whether you're playing games, you're at work, or whatever you may be doing, then the J3X Show is the place for you. With that being said, let's get back. To the Everything College Basketball Podcast. Boom! Alright, we're back. You guys just listened to part two of our interview with Roger Harden. Um, hope you guys really enjoyed that. I know as we was recording that, it was a lot of fun to do. He's very knowledgeable, and you can tell. Um, just listen to him. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. And now it's time to do our most pos- most popular segments it's time. Let's go ahead and start it off with Bank Hornets. Last week, I'm on like a three uh, Bank Hornet losing streak right now. Hopefully, I can redeem myself. So, I'm going. I said this last week. I was going easy, and I lost. But this time, hopefully, I get it right. Virginia, number five ranked Virginia, will go to Purdue and beat them. How many points? I don't know. They're just going to go to Purdue, and they're going to get the job done, whether it's one point or 80 points. I don't care. Bank Hornet, Virginia defeats Purdue at Purdue. It's funny your bank on it revolves around that game because mine revolves around that game, but the opposite way. I'm going bank on it because it's been a minute since I've got one right as well. I'm going bank on it. Purdue holds home court, gets the revenge, beats Virginia. I think I even gave a final score in our re- our previews, it, it like 59-50. I think it was a final, something Some, like that. Something close to I'll that. I'll stick by it. That's my bank on it of the week, Purdue over Virginia. I mean, that's a good one. Uh, I just like Virginia and their defense. Um, it should be a good defensive battle game. That's funny how we both have the same bank on it. But just opposite result. results, yeah. One of us is going to be right, though. <laughs> probably. Um, There's no probably. One of us has to uh, be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What do you mean? Shut up. You right. I'm kidding. Uh, Now it's time for our most beloved segment, going back to episode one. It's time for shout-outs. Josh, why don't you start it off? Mine, um, I could have picked a a variant of people. Same here. Uh, Because being a lot of big-time performances and stuff like that. I've got two that kind of just stand out. Number one, my first shout-out. Shout-out. You go to the Maryland Terrapins. They're ranked number three in the AP poll this week. They win the Orlando Invitational, but their senior guard, Anthony Cowan, we talk about Xavier Simpson, we talk about Cassius Winston, but he's got to be right there in the conversation. Yep. Anthony Cowan, in the three games, he goes for 30 a career high against Temple to hold off the Temple Owls in a good game. <clears throat> in the semifinals, he goes for 20 against a good Harvard team, very underrated good Harvard team. And then in the finals go for 22 against uh, Marquette, that's up against Marcus Howard. So he's average. That's what he's pretty much doing on the whole year. He's about an 18, 19, 20-point score. Can go get you double-digit assists, five, six, seven rebounds. He's really the, the catalyst for this Maryland squad alongside his running mate, Jalen Smith. Maryland's up to number three. Keep an eye out on a guy like Anthony Cowan Jr. He's my first shout-out. My second one. Uh, this guy goes for 32 points in the upset win against Texas Tech. He's only a sophomore. Ooh. Marcus Zegarowski, 32 on the Red Raiders. Big-time performance. It would have been easy if I went with a guy like uh, Miles Powell as well against <laughs> yeah. what he did against Oregon. Yep. But I wanted to <clears throat> kind of spread spread the love a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I only have two for this week. Normally I have three or four, but I think those two are fair enough. Uh, if I was going to do a third shout-out, it would be a split between the Indiana and Louisville women's teams for having great wins this past week. But my two major ones are Anthony Cowan Jr. and Marcus Zagorowski. So. I have four shout-outs this week. Um, kind of like you said, I could have went like a guy like Marcus Howard who had two back-to-back 40-point games. Uh, he bought, I don't know if it was a wreck, some Big East record or something like that. Uh, having back to back, he had like a forty point game and a fifty point game, fifty one point game. Uh, but I did not go that route because I just shouted him out a couple weeks ago. My first shout out is from Sacred Heart. His name is Cameron Parker because he broke the Division One record for most assists in a single game. He had twenty four assists, just out there dropping dimes, and ended up breaking the record for most assists in a game. So shout out to you, Cameron Parker. My second shout out. Anthony Edwards. I said this earlier. He had an incredible performance against Michigan State, dropping 33 points in the second half. He ended the night with 37 points. Just some of the shots he was hitting was just incredible to watch. And I was just mind blown. There's something about guys with last name of Edwards just going off. Um Carson Edwards in the tournament. Oh, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. I didn't the catch tournament. on there for a second. Yeah, and you're right. Anthony Edwards for against uh, Michigan State. And also, he hit the game winner to beat Shaman too. So, shout out for him for that. Um, my third shout out, you kind of said it, but you didn't really shout them out. Uh, the Louisville women's team, they ended up knocking off the number one team in the nation, Oregon Ducks, 72 62 after being down a pretty decent margin in their second quarter. They ended up coming back. And then after that, it just held, the, they held their own and they ended up beating them. Uh, they're now number two ranked in the AP poll for women's basketball. So, shout out to them. Also, shout out. This is kind of two combined. 
Um, two players combined for one shot. Shout out to Jordan Noy and Dwayne Sutton from the Louisville men's basketball team. I'm shouting out Jordan Noy because in the game against Western Kentucky, he's just averaging like 23 points per game, and he's just showing why he's one of the best scorers in the nation. Uh, he's really playing well. And that game against West Kentucky, I mentioned that they had us, they brought their score back within nine points. And we were struggling, turning the ball over. And Jordan Norris said, nah, give me the ball and let me take over. And he did. And that's the reason we won that game. Hey, I got one real quick. I just Go dawned ahead. on me. Go ahead. Um, <clears throat> shout out to Brandon Knight, former Kentucky, oh. really legend, really, honestly. Sure. Um, he only spent the one year at Kentucky, but today's his birthday. Oh, okay. Crazy. It's already been nine seasons ago, but he definitely lives in Kentucky lore. I mean, that tournament run, always even through the SEC tournament run where he played well against the likes of Florida who had beat us twice in regular season. He lit them up in the SEC tournament final. He uh, doesn't play well in the opener where we almost get beat by Princeton but hits the game winner, lights up West Virginia, plays decent against Ohio State, but obviously hit the game, the game winner that everybody remembers. Then lights North Carolina up in the lead eight. So I remember that game. Happy birthday to Brandon Knight. I remember that game against Ohio State. I never liked Ohio State. I was cheering for Kentucky, and he hit that game winner. I jumped out of my seat. Bro, I night. did too. We were screaming. After, though, if you remember, we hit that, and then they rushed the ball down yeah, the floor, and uh, floor. William Buford had, Buford, a, yeah, had right. a shot, and I thought it was going in. And then it hit the rim, and uh, Josh Harrelson smacked it. Dude, that was the greatest. That was, that was the greatest. I was like, ah! <laughs> it was a fun game. I think if I remember, I like screamed, like almost went outside screaming. Yeah, because me, you, and our sister was watching the game together in your room, and we all went nuts for that shot. Uh, but yeah, shout out to Dwayne Sutton as well for being the most underrated player, not just in ACC, but in college basketball, just my opinion. The way he performs out there on the floor on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, he's just always there. Anybody, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, Michigan State, they all need a player like Dwayne Sutton on their team. A guy who's just a good guy who's going to go out there and he'll get you buckets. He's shooting a high percentage from three, like 50% from three and 80% from the field. And he doesn't shoot that many shots, but when he shoots it, it's effective. Right. And he's out there getting double-doubles after every game. So shout out to Noah and Sun because you don't know if Paley's going to play well, you don't know if Enoch's going to play well, but I damn sure every game you know Dwayne Sutton and Jordan Noah is going to have a good game. Um, that's just how they are. So shout out to them, um, and that's my final shout out. Uh, next up, shooting stars and sinking ships. Yeah, for those who are new, shooting stars sinking ships. We brought it back last was it last week or the week before last, last week. It was last week. Last week, basically, what it is is. We pick three or four teams, players, coaches that we feel that's on the rise that you need to keep an eye out on that's, you know, playing well. And then, then the exact opposite seeking ships, teams that have kind of hit a hard streak um, or whatever, right? So if you remember like last week on Shooting Stars, we had teams like Virginia Tech on there. Indiana. Indiana was on there. Um, I can't remember who else we had on there. Uh, I don't remember the top of my head. Um I don't remember, oh but you guys get the idea, right? So this week, shooting stars, we have four teams that we really want to mention. Oh, Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee, that's right. Um, four teams that we really want to mention. First of all, you got to start off any list like this. Shooting star, the biggest shooting star in college basketball as of right now, the hottest team in the land. Clear as day. The Michigan Wolverines. To do what they're undefeated, what, 7-0, 8-0, something like that. <clears throat> go from unranked, 
Gallery got four monster wins. The last two not only won the battle for Atlantis, but blew out North Carolina, blew out Gonzaga, two top ten teams. You can't do shooting stars without Michigan being on there. No. After they beat Gonzaga, I texted Josh and Tyler, and I listened. Shooting stars, Michigan has to be on there. No question about it. Uh, they're just playing really well right now. Got two big-time wins against Carolina and Gonzaga, and sh- this, they deserve it. They went from unranked to being fourth. They, you tell me they don't deserve it. Um, next up, we got DuPaul from the Big East for the shooting stars. DuPaul's actually playing surprisingly well. They blew out who it was, Iowa. Yeah, they've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Minnesota. Minnesota. They've got, I think they've already beaten three or four other Power Five schools. I think so. Setting at 8 0 right now. A team that's right on the outside of cracking the top 25. This is like the best start they've had to a season in decades. Uh, you talk about the, the DePaul Blue Demons. Yeah, they haven't played technically a top 25 team yet. But, I mean, they blow out Iowa. Iowa turns around and beats Texas Tech a couple weeks later. This DePaul team's not bad. No. Like, they are really not bad. They beat up Boston College. They've beaten up Minnesota. I mean, they're sitting there undefeated. And they've actually got Texas Tech on Wednesday night. So, we're yeah. going to really find out. And they get them at home, too. Get them at home. We're going to really find out what DePaul's made of. But regardless, 8-0, especially when you consider DePaul for ever now, has been the bottom dweller of the Big East Conference or whatever conference they've been in the last 20 years, seemingly, or maybe even longer than that. They've been the bottom dwellers. They've been at the very bottom of the conference. Now they're starting to make some, some hay. They're putting themselves in a situation now where say they were to beat Texas Tech, put them at whatever nine and zero, eight and zero, whatever. As long as they don't like completely screw up in yeah. <clears throat> in the Big East, they're going to be a tournament team. Yeah, and when we did our Big East preview, I think I had them. I don't know where we actually put them. Uh, it was Cords dead last, but I personally had them dead last. Um, I didn't expect anything out of them, and they proved me wrong because they're undefeated right now, and that's why they're going to shooting stars. And they got a big game against Texas Tech coming up Wednesday, so we'll see how they do against that one. So. Third on the shooting stars, you got to go with the Maryland Terrapins. We just talked about they won their Orlando Invitational. You talk about Anthony Cowan Jr., Jalen Smith, and company. They look good doing it. They are undefeated. They're up to number three in the nation. I think the highest ranking they've had in almost 10 years as well since the Gary Williams days. Maryland is a very capable team. We knew coming into the season they could challenge, and they would challenge for the Big Ten crown. But now it really looks more like we had them predicted second in our Big Ten preview. Yeah, That looks like they could maybe, right along with Michigan and Michigan State, be the absolute favorite to win the thing. Or even Ohio State. The Big Ten's got a lot of good teams. We're finding out. Yeah, I but, voted. Uh, but Maryland defeated number three in the nation. I voted for Maryland to win, or at least tie, uh, to share the Big Ten title with Michigan State. They're definitely playing up to par right now. Um, just won the Orlando tournament, uh, or the tournament down in Orlando. They're playing very well, and they just blew out Marquette. A Marquette team that has Marcus Howard. They blew them out. Definitely shooting star team. Uh, but the last uh, team on the shooting stars, we got Dayton, the Dayton Flyers. Dayton's really performing well right now, even though they just lost in the Maui tournament finals against Kansas. And overtime, they took a Kansas team who I'm high on, a top five Kansas team, to overtime and nearly beat them. We got star player in Obi Toppin who can do a little bit of everything. He can step it out, hit the three. He's very consistent from there, and he can post you up, and he can defend a little bit. 
Uh, they just got a good squad down there. They beat up Georgia, who has Anthony Edwards. They beat them 80 to 61. Beat up Virginia Tech 89 to 62. Virginia Tech just beat Michigan State. Um, and then obviously they lost to Kansas. But you tell you what, that's not a bad loss against Kansas because Kansas is a top five team. And it, I mean, the, obviously AP thought highly enough of them. Even with the loss to Kansas, they still put them inside the top 20. 19th, yeah. So. Dayton on the rise, definitely a team to keep an eye out on. Now we've got teams that's on the decline, the sinking ships part of this. Number one, we look at Texas Tech. They were undefeated. We already kind of talked about them. They lose two in a row to uh, not a very good Iowa team and to Creighton, which Creighton's not a bad ball club. No. Definitely bubble-ish tournament type team inside that Big East. But – Texas Tech losing two in a row. Now they've got to go to a team that we have on the Shooting Stars on Wednesday, uh, a team in DePaul who's got a lot of confidence, playing well. So we'll see. Texas Tech, though, like I said in the the reviews and all that stuff, previews, they will have their stuff together. They're still trying to figure a lot of stuff out. But right now, you know, losing two in a row like that, not a good look for the Red Raiders. I don't know what's going on with them, but hopefully they figure it out before they get in the Big 12. Because I actually have them, like, top three in the Big 12 when we did our preview. Uh, But, yeah, they're just not playing up to par right now. Uh, But the next team on the seeking shifts, we got VCU. VCU has a big-time win against LSU at VCU, 84-82. to But, I mean, they don't have two – they lost back-to-back games um, at the tournament they just had. They lost to Purdue, a tough one, 59-56, where they arguably could have won that game. And then they lost to Tennessee. Um, two not very bad losses. I mean, it's okay. They're close games. They both lost by three. But this is a team that I was high on. I thought they was going to do well this year. And they started off hot, and now they're just kind of like fading away. Then again, they lost to Purdue and Tennessee, two teams I'm decently high on. Yeah, this is a tough one. When we put them on seeking ships, we don't think that like the sky is falling, like they're bad. It just means no. that they've hit like this tough patch that they're kind of like dipping a little bit. Even their ratings and Ken Palm's falling off. Um, they need to get back to just, they need to get back that defensive identity and force a lot of turnovers again. But I think in the long run, VCU is going to be fine. Yes. Peyton, I'll let you do this next one. Cause the last one I want to talk about. Yep. The next team on the seeking ships is Syracuse. Syracuse. I mean, they lost to Virginia in their first game, 48 to 34. That's whatever. Uh, they did beat Colgate, beat Seattle. They beat the teams that they should be, but they're big-time opponents. They're 0-3 uh, in big games. Yes, they lost so to Oklahoma far. State by 14, lost to Penn State and by the NIT tip-off. Um, so, yeah, the, the two games that they – or three games that need – they're big-time three games they've lost, not even close. So they're just not playing well at all. Yeah, I don't know. Syracuse, the last two or three seasons, has really kind of fallen off. They had that final four run in whatever it was, like 2016, where they kind of magically made it there. Ironically, beating Virginia in the Elite Eight. Oh, yeah. But I think Virginia still had uh, Joe Harris and kids like that. But uh, maybe they had Malcolm Brogdon. But anyways, you get to drift. Since the last couple seasons, they've really kind of just fallen off. And uh, it's just you're not used to it. From Syracuse, you're used to them being like really, really good. Their their transition to ACC has not been good at all. They they went from dominating the Big East to now they're most of the time like finishing seventh, eighth, ninth in the conference. Yeah, I remember the Syracuse even not so long ago, about eight, seven years ago, when they had like guys like Michael Calder Williams who was very good. 
Uh, Syracuse was beating Louisville and the Big East. But ever since they moved to ACC, they haven't done anything. And it, I mean, it kind of sucks because I do want Syracuse to be good. I'm a big fan of Jim Boheim, but I just don't know what the problem is. Maybe everybody figured out how to play against that zone. Or maybe. Well, they just don't have players like they did. That, yeah, that's true. part of it. They're just not having the players. True. That zone's still effective if they get players. Um, he just He's not got those – explosive NBA quality kind of athlete. And then yeah. last year he had some players, but it wasn't all around depth like he normally has. No, so we'll see what happens. And the fourth team, we just added them because literally within the hour this broke while we were recording. The Georgetown Hoyas are a fourth team on the sinking ships, and here's why. They just dismissed and their top – basically two of their top three players, including their top player – has now been dismissed, effectively left the team and entered the transfer portal. I don't know what the story in the back of this is going on, but James Akinjo and Josh LeBlanc are gone, like effective now. They didn't wait. They didn't. They're done. So I don't know if they've got into it with with um, with Patrick Ewing. I don't know if maybe something else is going on. But whatever it is, James Akinjo, Josh LeBlanc, two of their three best players, or two of their Four best, if you want to include uh, Omer Europe Seven, which I would. They're gone. They're off the team, and that's a Georgetown team. We just praised them last week, coming off that game against um, Duke, where they took Duke to the wire. Where we thought this team could be something, could be something good. Could do some things, yeah. It is now Omer Europe Seven and Mac McClung, and I'm not. I, I jumped the gun when I posted it in the Facebook group that there goes their chances of the, the big dance. That anything could happen. Maybe they get better by subtraction. Like, but you just lost two big scores, especially James Akinjo. They're gonna have to find production from other places. I don't know. This is a bad look for the Hoyas. Yeah, this really came out of nowhere. Um, I was just got home from doing some stuff and then I see the news and I'm like, what just happened? That's yeah, that's not good news for them. Now they're gonna have to rely on guys like Matthew McClung. Um uh, I don't know how they'll bounce back from this. Like you said, maybe they'll be better, or maybe they'll be worse. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out and watch and see if they fold or if they adapt and start winning more. I don't know. We'll have to find out, I guess. But not a good loss, though. I don't understand uh, why they did that. Um, just weird. Very weird. Very, very weird. But <coughs> we've had a, an incredibly – I know it's a, it's a day late, but it's been an incredibly – interesting show as is i think it's time to start wrapping some stuff up here yep i'll go ahead and go first uh like i said in the intro this week has been very very crazy this month alone has been crazy for the college basketball world um but it's going to get crazier now because now we have the weekly pickums. they are back now and i'm super excited hopefully i get to you win stole my season two eh, so what you've done it before to me too uh, but the weekly pickums are back now, so go to the Facebook group and pick your picks and check all the rules that we have for them. Uh, it's very exciting stuff. Um, I'm just happy for the first month of college basketball is over, and there's still a lot of good games left to be played. Big 10 ACC Challenge, uh, Big 12 ACC Challenge, like stuff like that. Like We got some huge games left, and I'm super excited for that. So go join the weekly pickums because it's always fun. Yeah, uh, now we've turned into December. We start to get into more interesting games, more ranked versus ranked, or just Big Ten's got at least two or three conference play games coming up this month. Uh, you look even this upcoming week in Indiana at Wisconsin, Illinois at Maryland will be a fun one. So a lot of good ones. We've got the Big Ten ACC Challenge going on. So a lot of good stuff the month of December. 
we hope you guys enjoy it. Again, we're on the road to episode 50. So we got a few more episodes until that. But other than that, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Again, Roger Harden was amazing. Yes. Uh, I loved the interview as we were doing it. I hope you guys did as well. Um, but other than that, I'm Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Burton. And for Tyler Cook, this is episode 46 of Everything College Basketball. We will catch you down the road. Boom! Boom.